Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And today we have a special guest. Hi, I'm Jess. Hello, Jess. And we are going to, well, we're going to talk about things, but we have not done any listener feedback for like four episodes now because we keep getting, you know, too into the topic and running out of time. So this week we are going to do listener feedback right off the top. So we definitely will not run out of time on that. Solid strategy. Did you want to start or should I pull one up? Yeah, I've got a quick one here from Kai. They wrote in on May 29th and I feel like it's been unconscionably long to reply. Basically, it was when we had uh, um, Audrey on for uh, the education, the teacher episode. They said, hi, I'm Kai. Upon listening to your recent episode about education, I found your guest's characterization of home education to be unfair and unnuanced. And as I've been home educated from the age of five, I thought you might be interested in having me on to discuss what it's actually like. Um, one, sorry if it was unfair and uncharacteristic or un, unnuanced. I imagine maybe there's a bias from like in-school teachers against homeschooling teachers. I'm assuming there is. There yeah, probably since is. the direct competition. Yeah. 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 They don't know how they're doing, how to do things right. Yeah. They would probably say, no, there's, there's no way that they could do it right there. Cause we're all, you know, establishment stuff or whatever. Right. They may also have only been familiar with like, I hate to say it, but like religious home education right. uh, and not like unschooling or any of the I think yeah. she also said specifically that she gets the kids who failed at home education because their parents sucked so bad that they had oh. to get put into the system afterwards. Oh, yeah. And that's, so, that's yeah. the worst sampling bias ever. Right. And she yeah. doesn't see any of the kids that had like the good outcomes from homeschooling. And the only homeschooling I'd ever seen in real life up until I met Max Harms was the nutty religious kind where literally the multiple choice questions were like, how old is the earth? 10,000 years old is the correct answer. <laughs> oh, um, but it turns out they're the cheapest for reasons that I'm sure are very... Uh, intentional yeah, well, um, church subsidizes it exactly yeah and there is some good religious like homeschooling i didn't mean to be mean <laughs> it's okay. just uh... we like being mean to religion okay <laughs> as we discussed in the last podcast well, i'm okay with that too <laughs> um so yeah i don't know we're, we're, i'm happy to talk about it more you're welcome to write in more or um i was thinking too of doing a thing i was going to announce in this episode anyway where i thought it'd be fun if anyone who wants to write in stuff i put on a sticky thread on the subreddit where anyone can write in a random question or if you want you can email us a 30 second 90 second maybe max soundbite um try and make it uh need as little editing as possible but you can just record it on your phone and you know clip it and send us the mp3 Mm -hmm. and then we can play that and respond to it on the episode yeah that would be pretty neat cool all right thanks mordina mail said in response to God, I don't don't know what episode it was, uh, but he said that uh, our culture has failed to teach what activities bring meaning, and I think that's partly because our culture is in denial about what kind of animal we are. We tend to conflate moral actions, shoulds, with actions that bring meaning, when we as animals don't naturally feel anything about what is moral in the abstract. We seem to get meaning mostly from visible, immediate positive reactions from other humans. It's, God, that's so fucking true, too. I love performing in front of other people. Because you get that feedback right away. Uh, it's difficult for us to glean lasting meaning from abstract activities like donating to malaria charities. Difficult to feel much satisfi- satisfaction about a project we complete that nobody else will ever see. And difficult to care about achieving things that don't, on some level, play into some kind of Hansonian status game. On the other hand, it's pretty f- easy to feel meaningfulness in helping a friend move or giving a meal to a homeless person, even if those are transient actions that are utterly meaningless from the cosmic viewpoint. You're an animal evolved for reciprocal altruism in a small band of mostly blood relatives, and your inner meaning detector doesn't really care about the cosmic viewpoint. And yeah, that that's true. I think that's very good to acknowledge. I wish there was some way to hack that. Yeah, I do too. Because I've I've been really more and more coming to the conclusion lately that I need to just be around people that I like 
in the physical world more, you know? Because that is where I find I, I am happiest, when I'm helping them and we are all together as a group, whereas doing things which are supposedly meaningful does not seem to work. I this is we... probably why kid, people have kids. Then they're forced <laughs> to live with you for, you know, however many years. I sort of reject all of the nefarious motivations people have of why people have kids. Mm -hmm. I think they do it because it is supernatural to them, right? Really, let me rephrase that. It is... <laughs> very natural to them yeah, yeah and it's just something that they, they do often without giving that much thought it's like i feel like i should mate now or, you know oh, um, yeah. speaking I, of which i just found out today i'm gonna be uncle nice congratulations oh, yeah, yeah congrats yeah unfortunately it's my sister but <laughs> but on the plus side the dad is pretty cool and you know maybe the kid will like come up to me whenever he's like having issues with his mom she's like she's crazy man be like i know let me tell you all about this cool rationality thing also god doesn't exist <laughs> Yeah. Or you could just be the cool uncle. That, that I, I mean that that is what the cool uncle does, right? Um, sure. No. <laughs> Damn it, am I gonna be the lame uncle? Just no. Tell dirty jokes too. I think there's other uncle uh, thing okay, you have to okay. do. Yeah, I think it's more like giving them candy and letting them stay up late and Oh. I'm not sure I would give them candy. I don't want to poison my children, but I would let them stay up late. I mean my nieces and nephews. Candy's not poison. Yeah. Candy's totally poison. Yeah, that's how we all eat it all the time and don't die. That's, <laughs> it's basically poison, which is why I don't eat it and don't die. The rest of us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're all just dropping dead in the streets. <laughs> yeah, there's that's... like a dose makes the poison rule. I am firmly on the side of candy is bad. That's very. That's a very less objectionable statement. <laughs> it is a good heuristic, I guess. Um, yeah, I've been an uncle since the middle of May, and it's great. Cool. <laughs> like, she's already making... Like noises, Ooh. other than crying. Yeah. Oh, she, like like pre-speech sounds. Yeah, that's like, so cool. My, at first, it was just ooze, um, but it was fun. Like you know, she's I don't know how over 10, 11 pounds now. She's her first big. word is going to be Stephen, and they're going to be so jealous. I I, I don't <laughs> see that much, but we'll see. How often do you see I her? Because... I haven't. I've only seen her once since my sister was out of the hospital. Okay. So, um, but I saw her a bunch when she was in there. So. Yeah, uh, but I don't. I mean, that was at the point where she was barely making eye contact. She was just like looking towards stuff. Now she can look at things and she can track things with her eyes. And, okay. Yeah, she's she's really getting it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. She's starting to understand that these sensory inputs coming into her eyes relate to things in the world. Yeah, I think that's coming. God, that's got to be so fucking weird. Your brain just gets bombarded with stimuli, and you have no idea what's happening. No wonder they're crying all the time. Yeah. Yeah, kids develop so fast, though. It's scary. Um. I work in a library and there's a lot of little kids there who like, I, I feel like I will see them and it's just my sense of time is weird too when I'm really busy, but I feel like I'll see them and like, then like I'll see them again in a little bit and it's like, oh, they were a baby and now they're a human. They're wearing clothes, <laughs> they're walking, they can talk or they can make speech sounds and point to things. And like, it's like, whoa, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> complete metamorphosis. And it felt like no time had passed. It's really scary, but really fascinating. I find the weirdest part how the brain does figure out these inputs coming from your eyes are objects. Yeah. I mean, at some level, that probably happens. I mean, that's got to happen way... in the first few weeks, right? Well, I mean, yeah. And in our ancestors and our distant cousins, it happens, you know, immediately without any real conscious thought. Mm. I mean, there was a gif on Reddit last week of some lizard that came out of an egg, like it hatched and then did a sprint and like landed, you know, around this guy's hand and stood on the finger or something. Hmm. Like it, it was born running and ready to rock and you know then there yeah. was that what planet earth uh volume two last year the year before well humans are basically born like two months premature right oh yeah like no, they have we need so much more growing once we're out of the womb but there's a lot of species that are just like miniature versions of the adult yeah that like you just have to get ejected from the body otherwise you wouldn't ever fit through the, the hips oh totally yeah. but there was that uh some desert lizard or something 
and it was born and it's like oh shit what am i what's going on <laughs> and then snakes all you saw this video on no. uh, oh it was great i'll find either the gif that has those funny captions or the actual video the video is very stressful but he gets away <laughs> oh cool yeah i'll make spoilers a... jesus he dies. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that was spoiled because I might not have wanted to watch the video if it yeah. had a sad ending. Uh, That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, okay. it, and I, it would have been way less fun. I wouldn't be excited. Yeah. If it died tragically after being alive for three minutes, it would be terrible. <laughs> oh, the most horrifying video I've ever seen. Someone sent this video that was like, wow, watch this. And it was a snake. And it was the like Ouroboros snake that was literally eating itself due to stress. Oh, oh wow. Don't watch it. Pass. Uh, I'm kind of curious what happens. Um, I don't know because I stopped watching it. I was so disturbed. It checks out. It would probably just get really tight and stuck yeah all right well yeah but it might be able to like digest like its lower half and then turn itself inside out i'm mm. sorry for bringing it up <laughs> let's change the subject <laughs> okay uh he also um more than a male who we are going to have on the episode again at some point totally yeah. we had him on once and it, he, he it was matt freeman he had the migraine and had to leave halfway through but he's got a lot of cool shit to say we should have him back um also says under the heading fuck school if you take this Malcolm Gladwell article at face value, and he links an article, and read between the lines, then getting into a good college and networking may do nothing, or be worse than useless. He discusses how if you compare Harvard graduates with students who were accepted to Harvard, but chose to go to state schools for other reasons, their life outcomes are the same. In other words, Harvard gives you no advantages. It doesn't improve its students. It just selects for the type of person who can get into Harvard. I didn't catch, I guess I'd have to read the proper thing, but how would networking hurt there? I don't think it would hurt. I guess it just wouldn't help. But, uh, you know, if you're going to Harvard instead of a state school, you are probably paying a lot of money. That too. Yeah. Well, somebody is. That yeah. can hurt. It'll hurt. That's true. I mean, if your parents are really well off, then it probably doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But I, I've got to think that you'd meet business friends in Harvard where you wouldn't meet them at, you know, your community college or something. But yeah. Maybe they're not higher quality business Uh maybe you've run into the donald trumps that just keep declaring bankruptcy yeah uh not without incident says this is the second time inyash conflated david lynch with david fincher boycott the podcast my reply is no i'm sorry <laughs> they're the same person i swear that's why you've never seen the two of them in a room together <laughs> but no i apologize that is inexcusable of me and i will start drilling with flashcards and something so david lynch oh, is Anki the cards. director who's david fincher uh, also a director. Oh, yeah. They might be the same person. <laughs> MKI Macau, <laughs> a person who's—I'm assuming this is a bunch of initials. Um, MKAIWW says good people relinquish their autonomy to systems, but good systems don't exploit people unnecessarily. Seems like a valued moral in our current society. I think this is when we were talking about uh, the movie. Oh yeah, and how. Yeah, the kids get kicked out of the family and then come crawling back instead of, you know, developing. Oh, that upset me because I think uh, Coco was the specific movie. Yeah. And I I really loved Coco. Okay. And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, yeah, that is actually a really valid criticism of that film. Oh, do you not love Coco as much now? No, I still enjoy it. Um, I, I can have, you know, I can think things are problematic and still enjoy them. Yeah. I think... You know, this is a good point, and I was when we were talking about the superorganisms just a little bit ago. That's basically how they work, right? Good people do relinquish some autonomy to systems so that the systems work. But if they're good systems, they don't exploit them unnecessarily. And I think that that probably is a valued moral in our society because that is one of the ways that society gets to where it is. We, yeah, we drill those morals into people so that we do have these functioning 
super organisms. Yeah, you need some kind of coordination mechanism. Yeah, but, you know, you also got to make sure the system doesn't get too abusive, like the fucking old Soviet bureaucracies that would kill people. Yeah, you need just the right balance. Yeah, you don't want a cult-type atmosphere either. Maybe you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think anybody does. I guess a cult in the... God, it's that is such a loaded word. You don't want the abusive leadership and coercive sort of social atmosphere that some cults have i think that's what people usually mean when they say cults are bad yeah Yeah, i think that's fairly unobjectionable yeah because i mean for the most part i'm like people can have whatever religion you want you can have stupid weird beliefs and live in a commune and be naked all the time i don't care it's it's just the if it makes you happy and you're hurting nobody yeah yeah. besides maybe i don't know you can hurt yourself if you want that's fine right like yeah i don't know I, i i remember a lot of people had a objections about uh less wrong in the rationality community because they said it was cult-like yeah and uh yeah um one of the members of my local less wrong group in philadelphia uh was a cult survivor and uh had like studied cults and i asked him because i i was under the impression that there was like a list i don't know where i got this idea but there was like a specific definition of what a cult was and it had to meet certain criteria there was a list apparently that's not true so you like there's kind of a nebulous definition of what a cult is yeah i think that would be any list would be suspect right because i mean unless they're going to include everything that has all the all the symptoms like if they include scientology but don't include mormonism i'm wondering how they're doing their calculus there is it just like subscription level is it in the scientology versus mormonism thing i'm pretty sure it's just a level of mormonism there's enough of them now that they have political power so they can people are like okay fine they're not a cult because we don't want to piss off the powerful people who have a lot of followers. Right, but then that seems like a weird, like, it, caveat. Right? It wasn't um, a list of cults. It was a list of, like, you know, like, uh, in the DSM, for example, like, oh, a list of symptoms it's... that uh, if you have a certain number of them, you probably have ADD or whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, anyway, I, I think I, like, made that up anyway. I don't think that really exists. So. What, did, what did your friend say when you asked him about the whole cult aspect? Um, He, like, explained uh, a lot of things about cults. And it's just, you know, my takeaway was just that this is very complicated and I don't think I can understand this from one conversation. I would have to actually study it. There's okay. um, a lot of different factors involved in what makes a cult, like, be a cult and not other kinds of communities or other kinds of, like, systems that might look kind of dysfunctional from a distance, but, like, not be as bad. I don't know. <laughs> was their conclusion that could... the, res- the the rationality community was a cult-like? Or did they I... say, fuck no, this was nothing like what I went no, through? No, he disagreed. Like, it was disagreement all around people laughing like kind of dismissal that would be sort of my takeaway just from what i imagine cults being like i mean if if we're a cult we are one of the most anti-cults with the most anti-cult measures in place of any cult out there i don't think there's been any kidnappings yet so (laughs) we're actually kind of like bad at coordinating yeah and getting people to like join and uh because like people actually say was that too cult-like let's not do that you know it's like no we're just having a barbecue damn it (laughs) but there's the fear I think there's a lot of people do have that background in, in religious fundamentalism. Yeah, and um, a lot of rationalists are very high openness and high, like, uh, trust. Yeah. And so uh, I know a lot of people that, like, have gotten scammed. Well, I don't know them personally. I've heard of them um, because they trusted people at their word. That doesn't sound like the right kind of rationalist, then. I'm thinking much more Professor Quarrel style or having yeah. read uh, Influence Science and Practice or something. I don't um, think there's... Honestly, I don't think there's that many of that kind of person in the rationalist yeah, movement. I, I mean, think, I'm sure there's got to be some, but... I think that's the aspirational figure. Yeah. 
most people that I, I think maybe that's why we love the Quirrell figure so much yes. because he's like, this is the person I could be if I wasn't such a naive boob <laughs> trusting everyone. <laughs> well, that's how I feel because yeah. I'm a naive boob. Aww. Speaking of admiring people, though, I think that's one of the, the, the one of the concerns like with Eliezer Yudkowsky is pretty charismatic and engaging. People read the stuff and got swept up in it. And, you know, that's that's yeah. when you just described that. That sounds culty. Oh. Um, that also I mean, sounds like a fandom. Yeah, it will. Fandoms sometimes sound culty. They, they do have a lot more hostility and aggressiveness occasionally. Oh right? yeah, I've so, been in fandoms. Yeah. There's, there's a uh, yeah. Ooh, I'm not gonna tell stories now. Fandoms, but. fandoms, <laughs> fandoms can be the worst. Can you tell a story that's anonymized so people aren't like hurt? Um, I can tell a vague like overview of the fact that there's a lot of people that form their entire community around certain fandoms. Like all of their friends, everybody was dating each other. They like moved in together, and then uh, there would be drama inevitably, and it would just like. Um, and, and a lot of the drama would end up being over like social justice uh, things or, oh or like disagreements about like canon and just like, I don't know. Um, it was weird because like when people are when people are so into a thing and that's like, you know, they love that thing and they make their life about that thing. That's really cool for a while. And it can be a really strong like uh, bonding, you know, device. But then uh, once you know, some time passes and you like, I don't know, I'm looking at a World of Warcraft poster. So for example, if, <laughs> you know, World of Warcraft was your life for several years and all of your friends are World of Warcraft people, like after a few years, you probably like change as a person, develop different interests. And then suddenly you're living with and like living with dating, you know, uh, only surrounded by people from this old thing that you used to love and you have nothing else in common. Yeah. Sometimes. That's weird. I like a few things. A lot, but I don't like anything enough to like live with people who like that thing too, based on the fact that they like that that they like that thing. I generally less so now, which is weird. But up until a few years ago, I had a very addictive personality, and if I got into something, I got into it hard. When I played World of Warcraft, that was my life. I would work so I could pay the bills, so I would have some place to play World of Warcraft when I wasn't working or sleeping. But would you want to like? have roommates or like uh -huh. I guess, okay maybe, yeah. maybe my, my, my whole guild should totally have been in a group home and we could have all just like played together and been so awesome okay up until i dropped out of world of warcraft and maybe i've never really known awkward. true love with a fandom then oh you must not have because i've been through that like i was always sad when i didn't have a fandom like i felt kind of lost i mean i, I saw thor ragnarok in theater six or seven times I, I was a big i'm a big fan of the marvel movies but not enough to seek out people at the movie theater but like do you want to go you know even grab a drink that sounds exhausting. I, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm averse to people. <laughs> it's just humans that you hate. Yeah. Not hate. Just they're t they're. It's tiring. Yeah, and I, I like I love hanging out with people. It's just I can't imagine like come crash my place for a week. We could talk more about this movie. I now seriously. I mean, I but, was into Warhammer. Warcraft is bigger than the, yeah. the MCU, so like there's more to talk about there. Yeah, I was yeah. into Warhammer for a long time, and whenever I was with other people, I play Warhammer. All our conversations were almost entirely about Warhammer. You know. Was... I don't know enough people who like the Marvel movies. I can't even get all my coworkers to see all of them, which is weird. Huh. Yeah, that is weird. I know, right? I'm a software developer. And there are people there, like, there are so few people there who, like, play ping pong or what are the other things that nerds do? Like, see nerdy movies, I guess? I don't know. There, there was... <laughs> what kind of nerds <laughs> Play do ping you pong? <laughs> what was that? Play ping pong is not what would come to my mind. Well, because no, that's an athletic there's, activity. There's a ping pong table on, on the floor. But I'm trying to think of... Uh, was, we were just having conversations about this, about how hard it was to find... Oh, like board I games? play Pathfinder on Wednesdays. Yeah. And right now we're down to three of us out of like 100 developers in this building. Uh -huh. And mm. I'm like, why is it so hard to find 5% of us who want to play, you know, Pathfinder every week? Yeah. So that that was The original was... nerd nerd pastime. Yeah. D&D. &D. Yeah, come on, guys. This this shouldn't be that hard. There's Why why are there so few of us there? <laughs> oh, maybe they don't have social skills. 
I this is my first Pathfinder game. We're not, I, you know, I, they're. I think we're pretty sociable. I don't yeah, know. That it, was a joke. No, no. Well, I, that, was, I was talking about you know nerd stereotypes. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a fair. Uh, I think I mean that's a stereotype for a reason. But uh, mm. the community of people that was hired at my company tend to be pretty like you know chill. They go out to like bars and hang out. They're like they're like everybody else. They have like um, normal interests. <laughs> yeah. Do they also like sports? Yeah. What? They go they go outside and everything. It's weird, dude. Yeah. And they don't catch fire when the sun hits them. It's weird. Yeah. All right. Okay. What's the next one? Uh, next one is, uh, we got a few things about the spirituality and religion thing. Uh, Mordina Mail again says, I do think it's worth distinguishing spirituality and religion. I'll pull some definitions out of my ass here. Always a bad first step. Let's call, let's call religion anything that requires false beliefs. The closest thing I can get to a steel man of all this religious stuff is that humans actually do interact with entities that you might call powerful, mysterious superintelligences, such as the intelligent social web or your subconscious mind or the natural ecosystem. And it might be effective for you to not even pretend you understand why burying you fish with your crops is a good idea and just say it was because God said so, because at least that will motivate you to do it. Meta strikes again. The text says because Thor says so. Yeah, I didn't want to be god god chauvinist you know should, should, uh, i should stick with thor i mean okay just saying all right misquote fine because <laughs> thor says so i don't want to specifically endorse thor because he's recently burned down somebody's house <laughs> yeah but like i think he meant well yeah that's true you said it was kind of possibly for the best well i was planning on selling that house and moving anyway and i was taking a very long time and it was stressing me out a lot yeah so and and the Thor is in in this situation because her house was literally struck by lightning and caught fire two days ago. It's pretty weird, especially because I was thinking about that episode right before I left. There had been three weeks of uh, really bad thunderstorms in the area, so I was looking forward to coming to Colorado and getting some of the sun. And I was like, "All right, Thor, I'm getting on the plane. Uh, hey, like, take care of me. Like, help me. With me. I don't know." I was just thinking, like, "Hey, look, like, why the heck not? Let's say a little prayer to Thor." And I can't remember my exact wording now, but. Yeah, then I heard that that had happened, and I was like, no, not like that. You apparently, you apparently did it wrong. Uh, well, I sacrificed a beer to him last night. Nice. So I hope he are you, is not mad at me or anything. Are, are So, okay, are we joking here? I'm assuming we're still joking we about are the joking. Thor thing. Okay, okay. I just, I, I want to make sure, because then I, that episode we had with David, when he like, I thought he was joking at first, and then I was like, oh, wait, he's not joking. <laughs> yeah, I talked with him uh, you 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 know sent me his friend request and I actually had a conversation with him about that and I I actually get the sense that he is and is not joking at the same time. Yeah, which is David in a nutshell. Not cool. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't be joking and not be joking at the same time. Get yeah, the feeling you're trying to pull. So like, good at let, let, me read, let me read your reaction. I need I need to decide if I'm joking or not. Right. You know. <laughs> um. But no. As as Mordina Mail was saying, uh, I don't I don't like that. For the first of all, let's call a religion anything that requires false belief is. I don't think anything requires false belief. Well, I, I wrote back responding to that that I I like the idea of separating the two things, obviously, spirituality and religion, but that seems insufficient because it doesn't feel like it's a false belief from the inside, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be a better definition might be anything that requires something meta like non uh science violating, you know, supernatural to happen. And I just um, I don't think anything good requires a false belief. Anything that can be destroyed by the truth should be, as they say. That's why I get really annoyed when there's made up uh, arguments or rather made up, what do you call them? Lies about uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, about people I disagree with or, or, you know, like oh. so, something comes up about, you know, the Trump administration that turns out not to be true. Right. Like, There's so much real ammunition here. Yeah. You're just making us look bad. Cause then when they disprove this, they're going to, they're going to throw out the, the rest of the true shit. Yeah. Um, so the only steel man I can think of, of a false belief being a good thing would be uh, maybe to protect people who are really emotionally sensitive and easily traumatized. For example, a child's pet died. Uh, the parents maybe i don't know actually i think i disagree with that um i could probably think of a better example if i weren't really sleep deprived but i think that like you know um it might be worth maybe if somebody's friend or spouse had died in a horrific car accident and it was really bad to kind of white lie to them about how bad it had been or just not like you know let them know certain aspects yeah there's some things where you don't need to know how horribly it was that someone died. I think the steel man is bending over so far backwards, though, that it's not <laughs> right. even worth, you know. Like, I think the, when he said the, the fish bearing fish with your crops example, that, sure, maybe it's important to get the fish with your crops no matter why you do it, but that keeping, holding on to that belief also means that you never really investigate why it's important. It's important because Thor said it's important. Okay, I'll keep doing it. And then you never find out about nitrogen and the wonders that you can uh, do with synthetic fertilizer. Right. Yeah, if you're just doing it the old-fashioned way, there, there's no room for improvement. And yeah. it turns out there's way more efficient ways to fertilize the fields than burying fish in them. Um, I'm assuming. I'm not a farmer, but I can only assume that there's a reason we're not doing that now. So, um, what We still do that. Still do like, what? On an industrial scale? Oh, um... Oh, yeah, like I'm sure if you've got not. like a little farm in the backyard, you can bury whatever leftovers you've got back there or something, or dead, dead animal whatever parts, but I... You put fertilizer in the dirt like if you're, if you're farming large scale right i don't know i don't know enough about agriculture i saw a helicopter dust cropping or dust dust something uh when i was heading down the highway a couple weekends ago it was kind of cool it was doing really low dives cool. and i thought it was just some guy having fun until i got close up to it and i could see that it was putting out dust it didn't look like dead fish but he's probably also having fun yeah <laughs> it was a helicopter not a biplane yeah it was a helicopter huh and they were, they were definitely having fun because they were going underneath power lines <laughs> oh shit like okay yeah and i've got to think that that was just purely for sport hmm. well maybe if you can get closer to the crops you don't waste as much stuff in the wind i guess well he goes on to say similarly it might might in emphasis be effective to make some magical sigils to motivate and focus the unplumbed depths of your subconscious towards certain desirable ends that's an empirical question I think you can probably use magic to do anything that could be done with a similar set of non-magical motivations, but using magic is probably more fun. It is definitely more fun. Yeah. I think I think that is like the one part I do kind of agree with that we often need some sort of ritual stimuli to to motivate ourselves, but I also think that sucks and we should fix it. <laughs> Why are human yeah. brains so dumb? Um, yeah. But if it works. Yeah, it's like weaponizing the placebo effect. And then, like, making it, like, cool. Instead of taking a sugar pill, you're, like, uh, drawing a cool picture and, like, saying a prayer to a god of some sort or, I don't know, Yeah. whatever you're doing. I mean, if it works to get you doing it. We're later going to talk about productivity hacks, and that might be one of them. Absolutely is. Yeah. Tricking your brain. Yeah. I actually really find thinking that I'm doing something in the cause of a greater good to be extremely motivating when I'm not motivated otherwise. But that is for later on in the podcast. Sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, someone replied saying they were going to push back on calling religion anything that requires false belief. But I think we already talked about that, right? Just now you were saying? Yeah. Um, I, I was quoting myself later on that thread, but uh, Simula Crumpet replied saying basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. That it just, it, it was so counterproductive that it sounds like they you know, a new word for that concept. Right. 
Oh yeah, they said unless you're deliberately attempting to confuse people, redefining words that have well-established meanings is counterproductive. I think, Matt, I don't think he did push back, but I could see someone pushing back as saying, I don't think that religion is well-defined. Or spirituality. You're right. Yeah, either of those things. Because they could, you know, overlap a lot. They're kind of a Venn diagram. Yeah. I just had something like this happen uh, with eugenics. Recently on someone's Facebook wall, they... The topic of eugenics came up. I won't get into the details. But I was like, yeah, no, I am totally in favor of removing these genetic diseases from my children and from myself if it was possible even, you know? I am not a big fan of this depression thing that I got going on. And it, it sort of quickly devolved into people saying, you know what? The word eugenics has a deep history of forcible sterilization and genocide and racism. And I was like... Yeah, but that's not happening today. What's happening a day is me wanting to remove genetic diseases from my offspring and someone coming along and saying, that's eugenics, you can't do it. And technically that is eugenics in the sense of making genes better, but then we got into basically a fight over the historicity of the definition of a word and whether it applies today. And I'm like, this is so fucking dumb. I, I want to just not use this word now because of all the baggage that comes with it. Yeah, just don't use the word. Call it gene therapy. I, I hate that, though, because it's an accurate word. Yeah, but there's other accurate words that, you know, get tainted and um, loaded with baggage and you kind of just have to accept that language evolves and move on. Mm, stupid evolution. I, I agree. I think, like, it's certainly probably too soon to try and rest, bring that word back, right? <laughs> at, at the very least, if there are already other good handles to get on, then you can skip the you know 90 percent of the conversation where you explain that you don't mean hitler eugenics you mean just making genes better and you can just have a much shorter communication if you are willing to concede and say something like gene therapy or something right yeah but then people like... but people always bring it back to that even if you say i just mean making genes better they're like well that's the same thing that nazis wanted to do and you're a nazi well then they're idiots yeah because that's not the same thing you're then... not saying because i want to i want to bring all the people in with depression and kill them all yeah. you're saying i wish that like my kids wouldn't have it yeah. right that's a very different thing i guess i just um, need to like strike back right away i'd be like how dare you compare me to the genocidal ideology when i just want to get rid of diseases yeah you want to make the world a better place not by killing people but by not bringing in people you know maybe choose something harder like like huntington's disease or something mm -hmm. right where it's it's genetic on off switch if you've got it you've got it and you've got what three four good decades before it starts eating your brain and it's like you're gonna tell me that me wanting to cure that is a bad thing yeah. you're you're the nazis you're that you're the psycho right that's yeah. messed up yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, based and confused, David himself. I really got to read his feedback here because I felt really bad, like, just crapping on him without having him here to defend himself. So, David says, Humans gravitate towards spirituality and mysticism. They're very powerful forces that affect us on many psychological layers at once. This is a vulnerability, but I also think it has a lot of potential as a human strength. When I hear Inyash lament about how it is infecting rationality and how it's almost a thing to fight against, I'm very confused. It doesn't seem like it's worth the energy to try to undo something that seems so fundamentally human. Isn't the more efficient answer to create your own form of safe mythology that promotes the virtues and thought patterns you want? And it doesn't require that you believe anything that is overtly false, but it does require that you understand that the urge for a spiritual and metaphysical understanding isn't a bug in human psychology, but in fact one of the fundamental principles of its operating system. My first thought on reading that was that it sounded so, sort of Peterson-y, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, have you read Jordan Peterson? Since uh, the last episode that you said you were going to, I said I would plan to. Okay. I think I I I think I probably committed to doing it. I committed to doing it at some point. I haven't read it yet. In fact, David and I have conversations about this once in a while, and he sent me this awesome meme. Like, there's one that was on the Sam Harris subreddit because Peterson's been uh, retweeting global warming hoax 
oh, really? proponents uh, to like articles. Like he's he, he's for all intents, it looks like he's playing the part. Or it's hard to hard to tell with somebody who doesn't believe in truth that <laughs> yeah. global warming isn't true. Um, so he's playing a climate change denialist or being one. I can't tell. I'll just find it really quick because it was funny. Um, so this comes this came across the Sam Harris subreddit. Someone posted this little comic of like a Trojan horse. Anyway, it's a little picture of a someone leading a Trojan horse into a castle, and the outside of the horse is labeled "generic self help," and the inside of the horse is labeled "reactionary far right politics." Hmm. And the person pulling the horse is Jordan, Jordan Peterson, Peterson. <laughs> and the guy walking in the gate is teenage boys or oh. teenage guys. He replied with a picture of Jordan Peterson from like pasted over the face of someone from Family Guy saying, have you actually read anything I've written? And then Brian replying from Family Guy, the dog. Well, no, I haven't, but I read things other people have written about the things that you've written. And I do not approve the things that I've read from others about the things that they've read from you. So I was like, checkmate, you got me. (laughs) So, uh, no, I haven't read Peterson is my very long winded answer to that. So you're going to be our resident Peterson reader and report back to us. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I'm converted. Oh, I've read it, um, but um, let's not talk about it. <laughs> okay, is that <laughs> right another now. episode? Yeah, well, well, I don't know if it's a whole episode. It could be. Um, I have a friend who is a big fan of Jordan Peterson's. That might be fun to have sure. on, the po- on the podcast. Do we really? Yes, I guess we do. We can talk about it. It doesn't have to be a whole thing. Yeah. I listened to an episode with him on Econ Talk. Okay. Uh, he seems coherent and fun half the time and you know a really just complete whack job the other half of the time you see that's that's mm-hmm. the other half is the part that really annoys me i would like the people that i listen to not waste half of my time with ramblings that make no sense there was a great um soundbite during uh one of harris's one of sam harris and jordan peterson's live events where peterson was apparently asked you know did jesus rise from the grave or do you think he did i forget if it was because that distinction is important like mm-hmm. do you think jesus christ rose from the grave mm-hmm. and peterson replied it would take me 40 hours to answer that question <laughs> And Harris was like, how about this for an answer? Almost certainly not. Yeah. Like, why would it take you 40, answer, 40 hours to say that? Because it, he talks a lot. Yeah. And, but he doesn't. And, and, and you, can, you can obfuscate a lot in 40 hours. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah, what was your thought on David's? Oh, uh, my thought on David's thing was that um, that is true. There's a lot of really powerful drives in humanity. Like, sexuality is a really powerful drive, too. And I'm okay using them, but also... It's like summoning up the old ones. You got to be careful when you do these things because you can very quickly devolve into magical thinking again. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't want to remove uh, the you know like desire to have spiritual experiences or sexual feelings, but like I would want to be able to control it, like turn it on and off, uh, use it when I need it, and when I don't need to be distracted by it, turn it off. He also mentioned making it safe. Like, why wouldn't you try to take this and make it safe? I I like am pessimistic that you can never make it safe because I think that. Um, people are going to start taking it seriously no matter what. Even yeah. if you started out as a funny joke and it's like a funny joke with your friends, somebody is going to go too far. Because our brains are incredibly wired to you know, start thinking this way and it's a rabbit hole that you can fall down really easy. Okay, so I, I want to ask you about this because you went to the uh, the solstice ritual, uh, the solstice, what, what are they called? The secular solstice. The, uh, the secular solstice in New years. York. Two years in a row. Two years. And you said it was amazing and you loved it. Yeah. And that's like a whole big spirituality, ritual, emotional thing. The whole experience, right? Yeah, um, that is a good description of that, yeah. It, you know, is uh, basically, it takes the structure of kind of a, I don't know, I was raised Catholic and it feels like a little bit like a Catholic mass. But then like everything you're talking about is just science or um, human progress. So the first one, uh, if I recall, the theme was 
the defeat of smallpox, the triumph over smallpox, and that was like what we were celebrating. Nice. And then um, that one was a bit grim. And then the next year, it was about a uh, like human potential. I am actually like fine with you know doing all of the ritual stuff if you're singing songs about science. You know, like that's that's awesome. You like people were like holding hands, people were crying, like having a great like you know emotional experience together because we were like thinking about how great it is that we've defeated smallpox, and that's fine. Yeah, I think you said it was like one of the most amazing things you did ever yeah having been raised catholic i never actually felt like the uh i I guess like the catharsis that you get from uh or that you're supposed to get from all those rituals it always felt like annoying oh man why am i like here for a couple of hours and like why do i why am i supposed to care about all these people and but like that that actually i was like oh i get it now like this is like a really significant um emotional experience that i've never had before like a feeling of like belonging to a community and like being a part of something bigger and and it being something that I really support and think is great. That makes me more excited to try to attend one and also way more apprehensive. Oh, why more apprehensive? I, I there's this I'm getting this feeling of like how do I put this? It seems like there's room to do that so wrong and it would be impossible to tell if you're doing it wrong uh, or at least be really hard, you know, like we should all rejoice that smallpox was eliminated through the power of science. That's great. And, you know, if you're moved emotionally by that, that's that's fine too. But if you're holding hands and singing about it and crying, that looks just way too much like, you know, the holy ghosting, you know, dancing religious people who, you know, babble and, you know, and, and all that sort of yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, but it's right? not that. It, like, I don't know. I, I think that, like, it's perfectly valid and fine to have really strong emotional feelings about things. I agree. And no, I, I think so. I think it just, it seems... It, it has this air of being swept away by the Holy Spirit. And in a way, that's kind of what it is, where the Holy Spirit is, you know... I mean, that's that's kind of what you're going for, too. You want to get that swept away feeling. I... So, and I... I like, like I said, so part of that sounds really attractive. The other the other part sounds like, nope, scientists keep their feet firmly on the ground, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, it sounds interesting, and I'm not opposed. It just... That's... that's uh, I don't know. If somebody was doing that and making slightly different noises, they'd be religiously... They'd be, they, it'd be this religious fervor, right? But because they're making the right noises, it's okay. And I, part of me thinks that the noises that they're making shouldn't really matter. I don't know. There's a lot of things that look like other things, but like aren't. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a fair. good point. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it sounds like, uh, are, are you worried about like getting addicted to the emotional uplift? I'm worried that it, it'll look like we're a religion. Oh, so it'll look bad to other people? Who cares? Well, and it'll, <laughs> it'll, and it, it, it will basically be one if we're doing all the things that religions are doing, but no, ours is true, because that's what they tell themselves. Eh. I don't know. So part of, like... I think I, that's I'm not, why we I'm not saying we should go full Spock and say, no, no, no feelings allowed. I'm a big fan of feelings, yeah. um, and I'm a big fan of big feelings. I think it's... Again, I... I, I I'm having a mixed bag of, of emotions here. You asked why the neg- you know, asked why I was having partly apprehensive ones, and I think that's why. I think um, it is because it's such a powerful thing that's worrying, and like, that's I, also why it's super attractive. The idea yeah. that you can that you can get caught up in an awesome message that happens to be true. The fact is, like maybe that's why it's apprehensive is that this one happens to be true, mm-hmm. but you could be caught up by anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was at a. Uh, but can you live your entire life just being skeptical of everything? Well, I don't know if that's not. There seems like a false dichotomy, right? Like you can you can get way up in it, but um, it can not, be all about getting not, to Mars. not be carried away, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like I can look at uh, you know a um, like 
I might have teared up or actually cried watching Falcon one of one of the one of the Elon's rockets landing again. Right. Like that's amazing. If you had been in a room full of a bunch of other people that were also really into it, that might look religious. Yeah, that's part of the concern. It's okay with me, you know, looking <laughs> so at So you can phone. do it alone in the dark where no one can see you. Yes, no community. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, I I don't I having just thought of this for the first time, I don't have a very coherent position yeah. on it. But well, I I have this mixed bag of emotions on it. I mean, I I know since a lot of us did come from the religions, I think that's why we're worried. Like we've twice now talked about having a Denver solstice thing and twice now not gone through with it because we do got a lot of people here who came from those religions and and fear that sort of thing and i think entirely rightly so and it just it squicks you out once you get out of it you're like oh god i I don't i don't want to be part of that i don't want to perpetuate this but on the other hand it is like he says a powerful tool i don't know i'm I'm really torn on the whole matter yeah i am too honestly uh like i i enjoyed it a lot but i also like you know was raised catholic and have really mixed feelings about it and uh I, th- I thought it was worth the experiment, though. I was like, maybe I'll go and see if I feel anything, and then I either will reject it or accept it, and I decided to, like, you know, accept it. Uh, I was like, it was fun, but I don't feel like, oh, no, I need another hit of emotional intensity. Uh, like, Well, I mean, you, it's, you had such a great experience, too. Like, I've I've had, when I went to the Writers of the Future thing, I it was, like, kind of an, almost a spiritual bonding experience with the other writers there that for that week, and fucking burning man last year was just an amazing and i mean that's even marketed as a spiritual thing and it totally was it was the best thing i've ever done in my life and i don't know those things are great i just then i you know hear things about making sigils to thor and i'm like ah what happened where did we go wrong and it wouldn't be any better if you're making sigils to newton no no it would be just as bad that's my point yeah Yeah, so like it it has this air of oddness about it and maybe that can be honed in a way that's maybe uh, honed in a way that's useful but maybe not safe right yeah Um, i mean um that is that is the concern too that like you want to be able to always communicate to people that if you're doing like a a sigil to thor this is me joking um this is a a metaphor or i'm being ironic um and it's hard to you know like people there's people that don't understand sarcasm and that they're really common and then like ha- you, there's there's no like safe way to try to like you know <laughs> i think people were trying to norm for a while that you would like do slash sarcasm when you would like write a sarcastic comment to like help people who get confused by sarcastic comments uh understand what's going on there but i do find that helpful on reddit oh, okay i was gonna say that i thought they were unsuccessful at norming it well i don't know if reddit norms anything <laughs> but it's normed on reddit i think oh um, good I think it's important when you're talking with strangers because strangers can't tell. And text, if text, yeah. Yeah, well, if you're talking with friends, even if I say something like, yep, I'm going to go murder some babies for my rashless cult now, all my friends will be like, haha, good one. Whereas, you know, some stranger might be like, oh my God, they're so so tell cult. They're already <laughs> murdering babies. I think that's such a ridiculous over-the-top thing to say that nobody would think that you were being serious. Oh, no, that's true. I mean, so that example specifically way you... was way over the top, but there's some things I've said that have been kind of borderline, which everyone that... I know knows that it's a joke, but someone who didn't know me might not know that it's a joke. Like if you wanted to purify the gene pool, right? <laughs> exactly. So, like we know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But other people have a very different connotation for that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I um, wish there was some way we could tag like speech without it being like a weird, obnoxious thing that nobody is ever going to do. I use a lot of emojis in text messages. Yeah, but like you can't do that. In, well, okay, you can nudge, make nudge, real wink, you can wink. make real emotions in real life with uh, uh, <laughs> that sounds hard with your face. Yeah, with your face and your your hands. It's so much easier just to use a few characters. Although some people don't get that actually. 
don't the get what facial expressions or gestures oh so that's got to be really hard that said though i'm moved enough by hearing about your experience that if we if denver hosts a solstice one that i'm invited to i'll go if i can we don't have to do the uh you guys don't have to do the ritual either you could just have a big solstice party where well i mean we've done that but that's that's just a party i actually do want to try out the ritual ritual. you you could start it really really like minimal yeah just one candle and no dead animals yeah like have have a toast i don't know um no, no, I, I think that's a good idea. And even like a toast is sort of a ritualistic sort of thing. And I'm, I'm, but I kind of want to see what it's like to go gung ho with it. So we'll <laughs> see what happens. Someone else will coordinate the the, the ritualistic part of it. So that's the problem because I would not. I don't think I'd be a good host for that either. I think a couple people we know would be good at it. So yeah, uh-huh. if I'm here, I'll help. Perfect. Fuck yeah. I like uh, volunteering and organizing things. But actually, um, the solstices, from what I've heard, were very difficult to organize and coordinate. And uh, it was like a lot of volunteers that were jumping in and helping that made it work. So, but like, I feel like, yeah, then we'll, we'll probably get people that jump in and volunteer and help too. Sweet. Okay. I think we're almost done here. Um, oh yeah. And then, then he goes on to say, now as for much, how much I believe in magic, I'm not telling. And I liked your, uh, look of disapproval reaction to that <laughs> because I, I also agree. Uh, he does say thinking about any area where there is a fringe that overlaps with the bazaar and you will realize that their purpose is to present ideas that may not necessarily be true, but function to throw in contrast those parts of the established model that don't make sense. I feel like inserting whatever hokum you have into their blank parts in the map is not the way to go. Yeah. But but to be charitable to David, I think if it does get you to where you're trying to go, then it's what is, what is it but useful, right? right? So he does close with saying... Uh, instrumental rationality for the win or something so yeah but, um, but he says down with ontological rationality yeah <laughs> i i'm betting that part was tongue-in-cheek okay i'm betting yeah it makes me think of the um Bayesians versus barbarians uh essay where you know if if you're gonna fight a bunch of barbarians you probably should just try to like become a barbarian too <laughs> and but then you have to go back to normal afterwards being the problem but uh yeah it would be nice if you did have that switch where you could turn it on and off or have like an intensity knob that's what I want. I don't want to get rid of the emotions uh, or the ability to have fun with rituals, but I just want control over it. Right. I like the idea of, in- of knobs for all these things. That'd be great. <laughs> Once we're all robot bodies, we can turn them up and down ourselves. Oh, yeah. Well, gonna... The problem but... is we got to live with our meat bodies until we get to that point. And we've been outside, too, is a lot of these things are so distracting and annoying that like, you'd be like, no, I'm doing great. Well, I don't want to turn up those distracting things. I'll just stay focused and all this. Yeah. But all that aside, then, yeah. I mean, I think that's why we have the whole warrior class that we tolerate, because it takes a lot to get people into that mindset, and they can't come out of it easily. You, you mean warrior You mean warrior class of, like... I mean, like... Police officers. I, I, I was about to say, soldiers. like, people in, in, in the South that love their guns and shooting oh. stop signs from their pickup trucks and stuff, which... Mm. I don't think they're the warrior class that we're talking about. They're, they're the, the they're kind bands of, of raiders. Yeah. Displaced warrior class. But they also are... That sort of mentality is highly overrepresented in the military's uh, fighting ranks, right? I assume so, because I mean that's like that's what my brother and... told me from being in the army. Yeah, and I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, we talked, we kicked off the episode talking about uh, giving up freedoms for, you know, giving up some autonomy for the protection from the system, right? Yeah. And the first thing I thought of was just like enforcing speed limits, uh-huh. right? You mentioned like to get anywhere, and I was like, "Hey, to get anywhere, you know, like on the highway." And yes, I want somebody telling people they can't drive 120 on the highway because they could kill me. Yes, in some sense, it, we need that sort of enforcement, right? Um, I forget where I was going with this. All right, uh, that is all I got for listener feedback. Cool, me too. Okay, 
So uh, what we're talking about today is productivity hacks, how to get things done when you don't want to do things. I was going to call it productivity systems because hacks has a weird connotation, but sure. Okay, productivity systems, how to get things done when you want to get something done. Is that not a good subtitle? You gave me no, sort of a dubious fine. look. Why don't we let why don't we let just sub, just subtitle it and name it? Okay. Yeah. Because that way you don't have to make them up run back ping pong. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yes. can I derail us just for one minute? Please. No. I am very sorry. It just re- uh, occurred to me that I wanted to say something um, in this episode, and I think this would be a perfect occasion to do that. So um, I put together a quote unquote online anthology of uh, rational fiction short stories. Um, and I am releasing it to the world today! Yay! Yay. So it is at ratficonline.website. And yes, it's .website, not .com, because that was much cheaper. <laughs> and this thing is something that I just put, you know, a dozen hours into and threw it up, and I will never touch it again. So that is why I want to pay as little as possible for it. But what it is, is um, nine short stories that are... I consider rational fiction, and most people consider rational fiction, and it's kind of there as like an introduction to what rational fiction is. It's like, this is some examples of the form. This is, I wrote a little introduction before each one, like two, sometimes three paragraphs before the story saying, this is why this story fits the rational fiction criteria. And uh, yeah, I think they're they're really good. There's quite a few like professionally published ones out there that have the the short story up online, so I can just link to it. Like uh, Exhalation by Ted Chang is on there. Uh, I have uh, Lord Iron and the Cambist. Or maybe it's the Cambist and Lord Iron. I never remember what order they come in. By Daniel Abraham. It's a great fairy tale about economics. And yeah, and and I'm really happy about it. I can't say I'm proud of it because I didn't write any of these stories, you know? But, but you, you anthologized them. Yeah, yeah. I put, I put a list of links together. Anthologizing is a fancy word for I put some links together and wrote some introductions. But uh, there it is, and I hope you guys enjoy. They're quick to read, and they're really fun. And maybe it can help get some more understanding by example of what this rational fiction thing is. I'm really glad that you did it, because uh, I thought that I was pretty well read in Ratfic, and there's a few on there that I haven't read yet, and I'm super excited about reading them. Cool. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know any of the ones that you just listed off. So. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm not that well read, but I've read some. So if you ever do, um, side note, if you ever do like a related section, uh, I know Zeke Ron was putting together a list of things that aren't really rational fiction, but I think we would all enjoy mm-hmm. um, things like Dan Dennett's Where Am I essay, um, which if you haven't read, I think it's fun. Um, I did read it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Or was, like The Egg by Andy Weir. Um, so like cool little things like that. So I'd reach out to him because I know he posted that like on the Facebook page and stuff and was talking about that. And Oh, yeah. I could throw some things on that list, too. Yeah. So maybe there's something we can throw together there too. If or he can, he yeah, can put it, no, he no, can, or he can put his own website together. Well, well, you know, or we could just have like a special section off the uh, Facebook group for you know, yeah, Radfic that we in Denver like, and everyone who's not in Denver can suck it. Sounds good. <laughs> or but they it, can move to Denver like Jess is doing to be part of the in crowd. But it also included uh, like Metropolitan Man, MOR, and those sorts of things too. Yeah. So that sounds awesome. Congrats. Cool. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. I hope people like it. Is it a living list? Or are you going to just... No, is, no. Is, it is. It is. Well, you know, like any anthology, any real anthology, you actually buy the stories, put them in a book, print it, and ship it out there. And then like the book is out there. But the better anthology, the kind that can live and grow, is this one of those? Or is this no, a dead one? No, this, 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 this It's not dead. <laughs> it's out there and growing happily in its little glade <laughs> in the forest. It's not getting any bigger. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Then it gives me a chance of actually finishing it. So that's partly why it's asking. Oh, okay. Yes. Maybe adding... someday in the far future I can do like volume two or something. But yeah, this one is how it is and not changing. 
Unless, like, I get a lot of emails saying, I really disagree with this choice. Why is this story in here? But I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, I don't anticipate that from what I saw based on the list. Cool. Okay, awesome. So, on to productivity. How do we do productive things like make online anthologies when there's all these tasty video games that we could be playing instead? Please tell me. Oh. Because <laughs> I've burned through a lot of... I didn't do anything... I haven't played video games since Monday except for tonight. So, I guess I went two days, which is kind of a big deal for me. Because mm-hmm. I went months without playing. Okay. And then I got this fun little game for the Switch that I put, like... I don't know when I got it. I think it'll be two weeks ago this weekend. And now you got to tell us what the game is. Maybe three weeks ago, because I got it before I got eye surgery. It was Octopath Traveler. It's oh, not that yeah. great of a game. I was telling you guys about it the other no, night. No, it sounded cool to me. It's fun. It's like, but it's not, you know, the next. Like I got Bloodborne for PS4, and I've been playing that a lot too. And yeah. that's a game I can like totally, you know, preach about. This is just fun and time suck. Hmm. But there's not like a sense of a, there's not a real sense of accomplish, accomplishment you get from it. It's just a fun grind. Okay. Um, so, dude, I played anyway, kittens for like weeks, and that's just grindage kittens kittens it's literally called kittens it's a it's a cookie clicker game okay yeah. you're also paid that also played that cook, paperclip maximizer one yes but that one actually ends you can beat oh, that game destroy, in you, like a you, matter of two hours oh so you take over the universe and it's like kind of i'm not gonna spoil it for you well i'll just go in there you, if it's anything like cookie clicker you get an achievement for going into like opening console commands and changing the javascripts to give yourself infinite resources I don't um, think you get achievements for that in this one. But again, but you don't have to it, because I you can beat it in 30 seconds, is what I'm saying. So you can just tell ah. me how it ends. Okay. Yeah, well, fine. I guess you could if you're a cheater. All right. You don't cheater. have to tell me. I'll just do it. <laughs> uh, the guy who made the Paperclip Maximizer game was at the Solstice Unconference, and Ooh. he did a whole talk on game design, and it was really good. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Sorry for the aside. But no, no, no. And I, I, I wish it had been filmed. Um, maybe somebody has like a cell phone video of it i don't think so though i don't think anyone was doing that it's a shame that that doesn't exist somewhere that everyone can watch it though yeah well maybe he'll give the talk again someday yeah i think so cool yeah i remember when that game came out it like got covered on wired and a whole bunch of places everyone was just like this is a really cool game i apparently live under a rock so (laughs) um... well you never check facebook which is where i get a lot of my link shares and where i share links that's yeah, fair. but not checking Facebook is also probably smart. It's probably one of the best productivity hacks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't have yeah. Facebook. Speaking of productivity hacks slash systems, uh, iOS 12, which comes out for iPhone in September-ish this fall, mm-hmm. um, is going to have some uh, limitations you can set for yourself, kind of like one of the tools it's going to bring up, which was... Uh, Freedom? Is that the one that like where you block certain social media sites from yourself on your browser? Oh, there's there's a lot of them. I think Freedom is one of the biggest ones. Uh, yeah. Or Rescue Time is another one. Rescue Time is one I was thinking of. Okay. And that's where you can allot yourself some some amount of time to be on Facebook or something, right? Yeah, or um, um, any site. Yeah, but I specific, I think people use it to because to get rid of their their social media addictions. Anyway, they'll have that for your new iOS. Excellent. Um, Not mine. I so, have an Android. Oh yeah. So oh, and he, you have some other bizarre phone. It's an uh, Android. Oh, not that bizarre. <laughs> oh no, last year you had that old like. Oh, that yeah. was just an ancient Android. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the only Apple nerd in here, yeah. um, which at this point it is like sticking with a cult. It's it's right now it is just sort of sunk cost. <laughs> Today's word is cult. <laughs> uh, their MacBook suite of products is still very good. Kind of like they're they apparently got a lot of returns on their brand new MacBooks because oh. they couldn't reach the the powers that they were ad- or the speeds of their advertising. I stand um, corrected. But and like the other thing too is that you know my my MacBook that I got two years ago, um, I guess it was a 2015 MacBook is pretty antiquated for like what i'd like to do just as like mobile development um well so like that just happens within a few years though 2015 is three and a half years ago now yeah well but i got it two years ago it was last year's model two years ago but the thing is was like 
uh, Windows machines let you like update them. Yeah, and, but if you update them too much, like an older machine, you can't put a uh, Windows 10 on it. It won't work. Sure. That, that was my why my ancient Android phone was such a piece of shit because they pushed the updates automatically and I just couldn't run anything anymore. And I'm like, why, why can't I just have the same thing that I bought without all the fancy new bells? Well, on the plus side for like PCs is like if you if you buy a, a copy of, you know, Word 2001 on a CD and put it into your computer, it'll your computer, still work. It'll still work. Yeah. Apple just does breaking changes every like four years. Oh. And for the most part, your hardware is completely useless by then too. Okay. But that said, I've got the whole Apple ecosystem at home. So like getting out of it would cost me $6,000. So right. That's how they um, get you. Exactly. And they've got me good. And so now I'm just a happy uh, uh, Stockholm Syndrome uh, subject here. So. It's probably better back when Jobs was at the wheel and things were still working very well. That's what people say, I think. Yeah. Uh, although he was apparently a really weird dude. Yeah. With, oh, yeah. like, parking handicap spots and stuff. And, oh, really? Like, like, and make a kind show of, of it. a dick. Well, like, the thing is, like, when you're, when you're a billionaire, you can have a driver take you to work or pay somebody to park your car. But I think he just was, like, this weird power trippy dude. But yeah. every, yeah. you know. I mean, some people got to leave subs in Argentina or well, Venezuela or wherever the hell it was. Once you hit, once you hit the B, maybe that's just what happens. Yeah. Billion. Yeah, it's weird because he was a very effective... Uh, company leader based on how kind of aggressive he was but uh he traumatized a lot of his employees yeah like bezos apparently too oh um uh, <laughs> oh yeah jeff bezos from uh jeff is that the first name um, now i'm feeling not confident i believe that. it is jeff from amazon though yeah, yeah his we last were... name is definitely bezos yeah he is apparently just a complete psycho to work under and i, can, I don't have thrown the word psycho around twice i mean asshole yeah um so yeah he you know, screams at meetings, you know, berates people, but, you know, Amazon's wicked successful. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what can you do? I think there's a CEO class the same way that there is like a warrior class. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just that you have to kind of learn to like control, but maybe it's still useful. It's a warrior in a business suit. So, yes, hacking or social or productivity tools. Okay. So I don't need one to keep me off of social media, although I'll probably use it to keep me off of Reddit if I ever decide to use it for something. Yeah. Um, assuming that fucking. Because the other thing about Apple, sorry, I'll get off this in a second. They don't let you customize anything. <laughs> no, so that's why I, can't I don't do know it. if it'll let me use, if it'll let me connect it to a third-party app. Because hmm. um, like I use, yeah. I use Apollo for uh, yeah, 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 everything has for, to be within their silo, right? Yeah. And Facebook comes on new phones, whereas Apollo doesn't, because it's a you know single developer making this app. Which, if you read it on your phone, use Apollo. Okay. The the person who made it is amazing. They're out there active on the subreddit. So what what is Apollo? It's a Reddit client for iPhone. Okay. So it's an app, but it's uh it's way better than the Reddit app for iPhone. And the guy is super fun and awesome. And he does this all himself. I just keep fucking going to the website. It keeps telling me, "Hey, use our app." And I'm like, "No, I like the website just fine. Thank you." Oh, I hate when websites do that. Mm-hmm. I don't have the Facebook app, and I'm not getting it back. And I wish I could tell it to please stop telling me to get the app. Yeah, I. I have all the apps because no. I'm lazy, <laughs> but still, I'm going to shill for Apollo. I donate, I don't know, once every few months. Oh, so, yeah, I bought you the, liked I, it that much? I bought the full version. It's like three bucks and it comes with like full functionality. I know I'm totally shilling for this. I'm not the creator. It's um, okay to <laughs> promote things that you think are useful. Yeah, I know. But now it's been, I've been, we're not, we're not on productivity at all. Soon <laughs> it'll get me back to productivity. And I, honestly, we should just beep out the name every time and contact the guy and be like, we will unbeep the name of your product, <laughs> which Steven loves so much for just $100. <laughs> Yeah, we could get some sidebar ads. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just love that this is this is the work of one person who dedicates a lot of time to doing this, and the app is crazy popular. Anyway, that's my my shill. Apollo for for iPhone for Reddit. Cool. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So productivity systems. Um, I am thinking that 
we could probably talk about them in like three different categories. There's um, productivity systems in the sense that there are books and philosophies about um, how you do productivity. There are actual tools, like I would say like Tomato Timer, like a tool that you can use, like an app that you can download. And then there are hacks, which are kind of a weird gray area. Um, And like more about like, you know, doing things like tricking your brain. Is the tomato timer the Pomodoro technique? Yes. Oh, okay. Why did, why did you call it tomato timer? Oh, that's what it's called. That was called the Pomodoro technique. No, I mean, there's a website. Oh, called tomato timer? Yeah. Well, if I'm going to promote something, there's the <laughs> okay. yeah, to, website. If you just Google tomato timer, you'll find it. And it uh, it's just a web app that does Pomodoros. It's really minimalist. And I've, it's the only one that I've been using because I don't need anything more than what it does. We should does. tell people briefly what it is. Yes. Oh, um, I just found out I've been pronouncing the word wrong, but... uh. I'm going to keep doing it the same way because I'm going to break my tongue if I try to do the Italian pronunciation. Pomodoros, I already did it, are uh, a system where you focus for about 20 minutes and you can adjust it, but like that's kind of the one that everyone has found really optimal, like 20, 25 minutes and then you have five minutes off. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've done. Yeah. There's a, one someone at my work who has a big clock that he like drags the the minute hands to and it counts down. Oh, it's and, cool that he has a physical clock. Yeah. And so it's like, it's impossible to miss on his desk it's like half the size of his monitor yeah. and so when it goes down he gets up and he he you know looks away and distracts himself for a minute then he gets back to work after five minutes we should probably quickly tell people it's called the tomodoro pomodoro Pome- now it's now called- you have me really yeah, worried about how i pronounce say it that. <laughs> the tomato <laughs> it's the italian word for tomato and because it is based on an old cooking timer that's shaped like, like a, tomato. a tomato yeah it looks just like a tomato you twist it it has a 25 it's either 20 or 25 minutes that yeah, is the I'm, default setting. <laughs> I forget if it's 20 or 25. Yeah, and then you just work until it counts down. It goes ding! And then you get up and you do stuff for five minutes. And you come back and you twist it again. And you do that all day. And yeah, that's that's what they named it after. And yeah, a lot of people do swear by it. I never, ever tried it because I think that would ruin everything for me. I tend to, me personally, if I get into a project, I will like sit down and just be in that project for hours. To the point where like I'm like, oh shit, I got to go and eat now because I'm really hungry. But if if I like had a ding that told me that I had to get up and break my focus on a project, I would be really pissed off. Um, apparently, it actually. I mean, maybe you know everybody's different, and that's like a really important thing to know about productivity tools and hacks and etc. Is that everybody's brains are motivated different. But um, if you're doing focused work for hours, you actually start like experiencing loss in terms of uh, your ability to focus, uh, whether you're focusing on the right things. And it's uh, kind of like, you know, sleep deprivation where people all, when they test them, they all say that they feel like they're performing at 100% capacity when they've had six hours of sleep, but you actually test them and they are not. And I think it's the same thing where you feel like, I'm really focused, I'm in the zone, I can't like break away from this, but actually you perform better if you do take those five minute breaks. So I should probably give it a try at least. At least give it a try. Okay. If you hate it, don't use it. I saw something like that on Reddit recently where it was, I think they did a study of nurses uh, on specifically specifically what you just mentioned about how um, their their performance tanks if they if they're been up for too long or didn't get enough sleep, but their self assessment of the performance is stays consistent, which is kind of scary. They're not aware that they're doing so much worse. Um, and this was just on nurses, but that's true with everybody, right? So if you stay yeah. up late and you know you're like right now, I feel like I'm doing pretty okay, but I'm I'm a little more tired than average, and so like I'm probably doing worse, and yet. If you ask me how am I doing, I'd say, I think I'm probably at 95%, right? So, Well, my, um, my greatest obstacle personally to productivity is getting started. Like getting started can take me a half hour to an hour. 
which is why once I get started, I am so happy and I just keep going. And then if like I were to stop and take a break, it takes me another half hour to get started again. And I just, I, I can't do the five minute thing. It's the, the, the startup time that is the worst for me. Five minutes is an, like enough time to give yourself that mental break that refreshes you and helps you perform more optimally. But it's not enough that you're going to lose your focus if you were, you know, really intently writing something. Uh, five minutes is just like, you know, you, you take a breather, you take a drink of water. It's still in your mind and you can pick up where you left off, at least in my experience. Okay. And I think that's like why they chose that time interval. I think I'm in the middle and I, I'll try it and see how it works. I'll set timers. Um, why not? I'll do it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow will be atypical. I'm planning on being extra alert tomorrow. But because mm-hmm. um, if I'm in the middle of something, my brain is kind of handling a bunch of things at once. I'm like, okay, now that I'm doing this, I can go grab this. I can, you know, I'm getting all these dominoes in a row. And if someone comes around my desk and is like, hey, Steven, can I do this really quick and talk to you? And I look back at my computer and it's just gone. Yeah. My whole, my whole edifice that was in my head is that wasn't on the, in the computer is gone and I have to rebuild it. It's faster the second time, but it still takes time. I wonder if I, if I did that to myself, if I would just screw myself, but when I'm not doing something particularly productive, I do get up every few minutes and wander around. And I feel like that'd be a great uh, this tomato timer would probably be really good for doing unproductive things like playing video games for hours on end. Because mm. honestly, just telling myself, "Hey, it's been twenty five minutes. You need to get up and walk around." Or when you get up in another ninety minutes, you you know you're going to be really uncomfortable. So at the very least, be be active. You know, every few minutes or something. Yeah, that's a good entry point. You could try it out with something that's not literally your work at your job. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm. See if you like it. Start small. Um, there's a tool that actually is great because it combines the Pomodoro technique with something that works really great for me, which is social pressure, um, the Less Wrong Study Hall. Yes. Uh, was it... Somebody else mentioned this way back in the day on the show. Oh, okay. It might so have been, you, might probably have been already, yeah. um, you probably already put a link to that, but... But I don't think we did. No one, no one's listening to the old episodes anyway, so why don't you tell us what the Less oh, Wrong okay. Study Hall is? Um, Less Wrong Study Hall is a chat where you can, you can join the chat. Um, somebody, whoever enters first, uh, sets the Pomodoro timer, and they're like in charge of it. So you log in, you uh, turn on your webcam, or you share your screen, depending on what you're comfortable with, and you just sit there and you do your work for the 20-minute interval. Uh, You take the five-minute break, and then you can chat with everybody else in the uh, group, talk about what you're working on, ask questions, and it keeps you focused the same way that like working at a job and knowing that your boss is watching you keeps you focused, or being in school... um, that works really great for me because I have a really hard time motivating myself to work on things that I want to do, like art or writing, but that are not like related to making money or um, helping people in other ways. Like, you know, if I have a friend that needs help, I'm going to prioritize that. Right. Even though, uh, you know, I, I will always deprioritize my own art or writing just because I feel like, well, that I don't need that. I don't need to do that. Other things are more important. I can force myself to feel like this is work by having somebody watch me and even if it's like um somebody on a webcam or even if it you know i know i'm logged into the chat and uh yeah then you know when the pomodoro leader leaves the group somebody else picks it up and it's also a great way to meet other you know rationalists from other groups that sounds really cool i think that sounds like a great idea and i was interested when i heard about it the first time to like i should try that sometime and i've gotten better i think at actually committing to doing things since then so I just made a note of it. To, I'm going to put a link to it on the on the episode for this or the description for this episode. But I'm also going to try it in real life because why not? 
it doesn't yeah. hurt to give it a shot. I'm sure it's free. So when I, um, when I was uh, writing full time, I always went to a Starbucks to write because even though no one there is actually looking at you, it just kind of felt like they were. I was like, I have to be good for the people, you know, that are watching me because otherwise I'm a slack. I'm like, I would still take a little while to get started and I would still take some breaks now and then. But having those people there really made a big difference. Yeah, and, and leaving your house too, you get away from all the distractions of, oh no, I need to clean these dishes. Oh, well, I'm about to go out the door and work on some writing, but oh look, like there's uh, some clothes on the floor. I need to pick those up first. I never really had those distractions. My biggest distraction was like, oh look, there's a comfy bed and I am feeling <laughs> mildly nappish. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Can't yes. do that at Starbucks. Yeah, and there's coffee at Starbucks. Yeah. Plus, just, everyone sees you being productive. And so not only are you putting on a show, but you're... You're signaling. You, exactly. My, my inner Robin Hansen is just like, yes, of course, they're going to look over and look at this important person who... He's been there this whole time. He's been clicking away. He must be doing something really important. Um, I really it, think a lot of my life is just performance. I think a lot of people... That's a human thing. I think I think that, yes, that's a human thing. And I think you're you're noticing the stage, whereas many people maybe don't, right? Okay. Because um, that's how most people do stuff, right? So... I've heard a lot of people get really upset when they learn about the whole signaling theory thing because they start looking around and go, oh my god, everybody's signaling all the time and that's all we do and I'm doing it. No, no. <laughs> How do I stop signaling? I actually saw somebody had posted that somewhere. I wish I could remember where, but somebody wrote, how do I stop myself from signaling? <laughs> and people came in and they said, you you don't. You would stop being a human being. Like right. it, It's not bad to signal. <laughs> I the mean, only way to stop they're... yourself from signaling is to isolate yourself from all other humans. Yeah, yeah and right. then, like, you know, that is great for your mental health. Right, right. <laughs> I had a friend message me about that once, and it was basically like, you know, is there a way to like do something that isn't communicated as signaling? And no, and I, no there's not. I don't and I think, think so. There's at least two different kinds, though. There's like the kinds of signals that you're sending, either like on purpose, basically, and there's the, there's the kinds of signals, and these often overlap, that people are reading from you, mm. right? So like, I like tend the- to wear non-descript clothing. I wear, you know dark colors and grays and stuff and i you know don't interact with people on the train or something but someone looks over they'd be like oh look at him signaling his you know introversion or something Uh, Um, i've heard people like you know bust on uh silicon valley programmers for wearing like the hoodie and jeans uniform and they're like oh look they're signaling so hard that they're cool programmers look they're just walking around with a backpack and off-brand sneakers and like it's like you you can't do anything (laughs) you can't do anything that's me i have a hoodie at my desk now you gotta buy a nice three-piece suit drop a grand on it just so people won't think you're signaling anymore although there's a couple people at work who do that and they look like assholes so um (laughs) like I mean, designer hoodie. Well, no, no, they no, they they wear suits to work, oh. and it's it's a couple of managers, and they're they they. Whereas my manager has a set of orange Crocs at least at his desk, and he wears those at work with his shorts and t-shirt. I think that that's much more the vibe that I want. <laughs> and then you know, if my boss came around my desk wearing a tie and a you know a, a jacket and stuff, and it's like, why are that seems like he's overtly signaling, right? And well, because he is, yeah. and, it, and it's definitely a status thing. Yeah, there's partly, there's the uniform of the programmer, which is, like you said, jeans and a t-shirt and a hoodie, and usually off-brand sneakers in the backpack, because computer Backpacks bags. are just the most useful thing ever. Yeah. I, I don't know why humans ever tried to go to briefcases or messenger bags or anything else. They're um, inferior. You can access, like, a messenger bag or a purse more easily, like, if you That's need to true, grab like, your while phone. You're walking you have something. to kind of take one strap off of a backpack and swing it around and, like, to yeah. get your wallet out. It's a little awkward, but it's also nice to be, like, hands-free and to be able to carry more weight. Mm-hmm. But children wear backpacks to school, so... Yeah, because they're... they're very useful. No, I know, but that's my point. So that's that's the reason to move away from them. Yeah. That's why you go to briefcase and you don't you don't wear a. Oh, Maybe yeah. also it leaves your clothes your, your suits unruffled if you're going to the office carrying a briefcase rather than having a 
mm. your straps digging into it. Right, right. I'm sure there's all kinds of great and stupid reasons for it, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I got a very comfortable backpack a few months ago, and it's great, so. Where I like we? that you thought through reasons people would use a briefcase. Like, the whole suit thing makes a lot of sense now that you mention it. I doubt that's the explanation. I just I think pulled that out of my ass. I think it's some of those your paperwork that you're putting in the briefcase. Probably that, too. Like, if you have a laptop, you can stick it in a sleeve, and you can throw it in a backpack, uh... But, like, I have a folder right there in my backpack that is getting destroyed. Yeah, Having any, something rigid. Any any paper that I put in my backpack gets ruined, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if I had, if if my, if my you know, realtor or lawyer showed up to a meeting and pulled out a bunch of ruffled <laughs> shit from his backpack, I'd be pretty annoyed, right? So <laughs> We figured it out. <laughs> Mystery solved. So, so, can we start from the top? There was three different kinds of... Uh, um, production systems there was the there might be more but that was like kind of where my brain wanted to separate them there's uh the like the books the philosophies behind uh productivity systems um there's tools like uh the pomodoro timer like a, a an app um the less wrong study hall a tool that's uh something that you can use and then there were hacks which uh they're, they're tools that aren't apps it's like uh the rituals, for example, or like doing things to trick your brain. Okay. Can um, we talk have, about some of those? Yeah. I, I was just going to say, oh, uh, because uh, it's hard to explain without giving an example. Um, a good example is I have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, or at least I used to until I learned that I've been using melatonin wrong. Thank you, Scott. But I, yeah, my alarm would go off and I would, uh, you know, just keep hitting snooze. And the only thing that would get me up is panic of, oh no, I need to be at work or at this place. So I, I know that I need to get up now or I will be late. But uh, I heard someone recommended when you when your alarm goes off, literally jump out of bed with like the most excess ridiculous amount of force. <laughs> well, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is like totally works. Uh, or at least it works some of the time anyway. Uh, I guess it's the same concept of, you know, just jumping into the pool instead of trying to like dip your toe in and then just slowly slide your leg in like just, you know. Pull the Band-Aid off. I I totally agree that going into a pool slowly is just a stupid way to torture yourself. (laughs) Jump right in and you adjust to it within a few seconds. Whereas if you're going in slowly, you get this creeping slowly all the way up your legs, discomfort kind of pain. Yeah. That's how I feel if I would pull a Band-Aid off really slowly. Another trick I've seen people do is they set their, their alarm clocks forward. They'll set it forward 25 minutes or something. Yeah, but so, you, you adjusted that within two days. Okay, so I didn't know if people... I, this is something I've seen people do. I've never tried it. Yeah. it, it I like it, knowing what time it is. But Your like, alarm clock or you mean like your, your clock clock? Your clock that you have... like the, okay. Your clock that makes noise in the morning. So like not your not your timepiece for the day, but your... Uh, and not, not, not the time that it goes off. Um, yeah, so the, say, the say actual... you need to be up at 7.30 and your iPhone says it's 7.30. But your alarm clock on your nightstand, you set you set that 30 minutes ahead. And so you look at that and it says it's eight o'clock and your brain wakes up and you're like, eight o'clock? I needed to be up half an hour ago. And that little jolt helps get people get up. But you're seeing people adjust to that right away? Oh, yeah. It, it, it is really effective like once or twice. Okay. But then as long as you have any sort of intellect, you look over and you're like, hmm, okay, eight minus 30 is 730. Okay, it's 730. Even while you're almost entirely asleep. My partner has a problem of uh, time management. So he actually does change all of the clocks in our house to be like five to like seven minutes, uh, you know, uh, late. Yeah, but then then he knows that it's not the actual time, right? Yeah, but he he changes it. So Oh, he does it constantly. <laughs> every so often he'll change it back to normal and okay. then uh and uh 
he doesn't remember (laughs) whether or not he has changed it. The other trick might be to like tell somebody, I did this for a while in my car. I had my car clock a few minutes ahead, but I found it not to be at all helpful because I would just know that it was some time ahead. And eventually I I cross-referenced it with a reliable clock, but... I was had my passenger when I was looking at the road. I said, "Hey, press the minute hand or the minute button on the clock, a few times, less than ten, but more than you know a couple." And then I then I knew it was ahead, but not by how much. So I would just tell my brain, and I look at it and know that it was wrong, but say, "Tell yourself that's the real time." And then I, you know, I would try and be on time better or something. But I'm <laughs> fairly punctual anyway, so it didn't really make a difference. But I gave it a shot. But the randomness part of it, you said five to seven ish minutes, means that like if it was three minutes fast, they would adjust probably pretty quickly. But if they if they know it's up a little bit, then it's easier since you can't do the quick mental math. Like yeah, don't use multiples of five. Sure. Um, maybe like randomize it <laughs> so it's like three or seven or like twelve. I don't know. I feel like this isn't something that would be all that much help for productivity anyway, though. Well, it's for time management, which is important to productivity. Okay. If, if you know uh, that you're a chronically late and sane person, which is what they called it on the Wait But Why article. Um, that's a really good article on time management, by the way then you can more reliably be on time to things if you're always slightly unsure what time it actually is. Huh. Okay. But, like, you know approximately what time it is. What are some of the, you said at the beginning, like, philosophies of productivity? There's many of them, um, and there are some really well-known ones. Uh, I think one of the um, most respected in the field, and uh, it's it's been around for a bit, is called Getting Things Done. It's by David Allen. And they actually call it the GTD method, which is silly. GTD is short for getting things done? Yes. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's expanded into this whole thing. There's like websites. Uh, you can, and it's a cool productivity system. There's a book. Uh, there's like a planner. There, there's probably a million apps. I don't know. Um, but you can make it about as uh, simple or, you know, it's like you can scale it up or down depending on how like much you like to organize things and get really like OCD about <laughs> your productivity systems, which I like to get pretty OCD about mine. So the um, philosophy is mainly about like having planners to help you plan things out? No, the philosophy is it's based on um, kind of a middle manager position, but you can also kind of use it to be the middle manager of your life with a little creativity. You uh, want to capture, first of all, all of your incoming tasks. So uh, email, you know, like requests from friends first of all uh he says just like get it all out of your brain and on paper somewhere and in in Mm -hmm. the same place use a binder or use an app write it down and keep them all in the same place don't organize them just throw them on the list and then once everything is captured then you stop stressing out about am i going to remember to do this thing or having that constant feeling of am i forgetting something because you know that the minute you hear that you have a task you just write it down it's captured that is genius I have a very busy coworker who does that. She has like a Kanban board across her entire desk of sticky notes. Mm-hmm. And so she knows, oh yeah, I had this. And I'm, I'm sure there's some, there, there's there's three categories. It's like urgent and then you know, oh, backlog yeah, and then whenever or something like that. And she's also the agile coach at my work. So I think okay. that's, that's exactly where she got gets this, this idea from. Um, but Sounds it's like cool. there's a little bit of like hybridization going on there with the Kanban and with the GTD method. Totally. Um, but it, it was just the idea of making it in a physical place and maybe that's also to help remember and stuff but also like you said get rid of the anxiety of not knowing if you're forgetting something um, yeah and the like one of the important things was like always having a notebook with you or having an app on your phone i like to use google keep um which i'll talk more about because i love it and also not like organizing it is important too because 
you want not organizing it. Yeah, but like um, people will like experience some resistance to you know you you hear a task and if you don't write it down you might forget it, or uh, you might be like oh if I like write this down I'm gonna have to go pull up in my like task list that's gonna cause anxiety there's gonna be like I'm gonna have to figure out what category it goes in I don't want to do that right now I'll do it later and then you don't but if you just have a notebook and you just write it in there it'll take a second and it's easy to remember to do it and mm. you don't like experience as much resistance. Um, yeah, then there was uh, what Stephen was talking about, where there's the uh, separating the tasks. I wish it was easier to have a notebook on me at all times. And I know I have my phone on me at all times, but I always feel rude if I whip out my phone while other people are around and start typing in things, there even really? if it's just like a task that I need to do. There's small pocket-sized notebooks. Yeah, but those get, they have the same problems as the backpack. They get all mangled in my pockets pretty quickly. They have um, ones that are pretty well-reinforced. Like, they have hardcover ones. Then you have to carry a pen and stuff, too. That's okay. Uh, I got pockets. I don't have pocket space for a pen, even. Like no, a they, have a, pen. they have these notebooks. Like um, I'm trying to remember a brand. I'll have to like add it back later. But there's these notebooks where like the pen actually inserts into the notebook. And the notebook is like made of like steel <laughs> to protect the pages. I don't know. It's, it's very small, very compact. It's made specifically for this purpose. Shit. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, I'm going to, I feel bad that I forget the brand because it was something that like was on my wish list for a really long time. I still haven't gotten one and now it's just gone from my brain. Well, my handwriting's terrible, so I'll stick to my phone and I'll push <laughs> past the rudeness factor. Yeah, it doesn't worry me, uh, especially like I feel like most of the time if somebody's like, hey, could you do this? I'll be like, sure, let me just take a note of that and I pull my phone out and then it's socially acceptable. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I've done that. We were just at like the party I had a few months ago. I said exactly that. Let me write this down. Or like at meetups, I do that frequently too. So what's Google Keep? Is that like a note keeping app? Yes. Because um, I just use the notepad for iPhone and it sucks. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I have an Android and I have Google. And the thing I love about like the Google suite of products is that they're all backed up to the cloud and they auto-save and they all sync with each other. Um, and Google Assistant's cool too. This has gotten so good to the point where um, now I can capture tasks by saying, hey Google, remind me to go to the store and pick up milk tomorrow at 5 a.m. Or, hey Google, when I get to work, remind me to tell my boss this thing. And Google knows when I get to work, which is creepy, but useful. And uh, yes. Yeah, well, so it's got your work as a geolocation, right? Yeah, but I didn't tell it to save my workplace. It just found out where my workplace was. Ah, uh, well, it's the place that you go to Monday through Friday at mm -hmm. these exact times every day, right? Yeah, so I figured it out. Google's a smart monkey. I guess <laughs> not a monkey. Smart silicon god. <laughs> yes. Um. Google Keep lets you write lists, and uh, you can check items off a list, so it's good for your grocery lists or items that you need to check off. Um, you could just take a bunch of notes in it, and you can add a reminders feature. So it will actually uh, serve as like an alarm. It'll pop up, and it'll say, I'm reminding you of this thing. And you can kind of snooze the reminder, too. And uh, you, you can like you know swipe it off your screen to say that that is done, or you can yeah push the snooze alarm, or you can dismiss it. It's just really well integrated with all of Google's other, uh, you know, suites as well. So I'm kind of shilling Google right now. but. And these are used with... Oh, yeah? What's up? I have a question. Okay, we have a question from the audience. Go ahead, live studio audience. What does, um... Our audience wants to know if you can use the Google Voice command to add a task to Google Keep. Uh, yes. Uh, if you're talking about Assistant, I think it's the same thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. That is, all, I do that all the time. I'll be riding my bike and my phone will be in my pocket and I will tell it, like, you know, I've suddenly remembered, oh, I need milk. And I'll just yell, hey, Google, remind me to get milk when I get off of work. And it does. 
So for the record, iPhone does something like that. There's a reminders app that I've got different categories. I've got one called reminders, one called random, one called shopping list. And it knows what those are. So I can say, I can hold down the home button or say, hey, Siri, if I had that enabled and do the same thing. But I did just download the Google Keep app because the reminders app is not as fun to look at. Like, oh, I mean, I'm, I have to go here and then go back to other ones. And it's, it's too just, complicated. It's kind of a mess. So... Yeah, I'll try the Google Keep one. That sounds fun. So Google Keep integrates with this GTD getting things done system? No, with uh, with other Google products. Right, but do you use it for the getting things done oh, system? Oh, yeah. No, I, I like to use it as a capture system. Um, although, actually, like what I use as my primary capture system is just a WordPad document on my laptop. And I've tried a bunch of other ones, and that's just what works for me. Because what happens is I need to dump my task list like every so often. I'll end up with a bunch of clutter on there that are tasks that I'm never going to do or that like you know I forget to check them off so I just delete that wordpad document and I start a new one my partner Vivian has something very similar except uh you get a little pixelated icon and every time you complete something on your task list you get gold or xp oh is this habitica yes it's habitica that's the name that's another really good one yeah and then you use that gold to buy swords to fight monsters and the way you fight like big bosses is just do lots of tasks and every time you do a task it does some damage to the monster or whatever it's it, it looked really neat yeah it's fun because you can join a party yes um, and then like then you've got the social pressure of like oh we're on a campaign with our friends and we got to beat this monster but it also uh, i've like been hesitant about using it myself because it it seems like i would get caught up in the gamification aspect of things and then like then you're sp- putting all sorts of things on your task list and just getting all sorts of shit done because you want to beat a monster Maybe, I don't know. Or you're artificially that... inflating the list to get stuff done to beat the monster too, right? Yeah, but either way, you're putting something on your list and then getting it done. Unless all you're doing is putting things on the list and checking them off. Well, okay, if all you're doing is entering things and <laughs> checking them out without doing anything, sure, you suck. But like then you might what... as well just open up the console and be like, unite the clans. I feel like that's what I would do. Okay. But, I, I, I meant mean... more like um, customizing my avatar and like things that you know aren't actually helping me be productive. Oh. Burn a bunch of time just making yourself better <laughs> at the game. I would okay. do that too. I, I would. There's one I was listening to um, years ago. There was might still be around. There was a podcast with uh, Camille Nanjiani and Emily B. Gordon uh, called The Indoor Kids. It was about video games. And uh, one of their friends that they had on had recently had kids. And he described how he had, game- he had gamified fatherhood. Oh, um, that sounds cool. <laughs> and I don't think it was so rigid as to have an app with an avatar. Because that would, again, take a lot of time and energy. And oh, I would man. But I want to see of... the dad avatar. <laughs> but, <laughs> I want to see the tears. But he would do where it's like every diaper he changes, he'd give himself a point or two or something or whatever. And when he hit a number of points, he'd reward himself by like buying a video game or watching a movie or something. But he earned those by, by doing parenthood points. So I think gamifying is one fun system. Which one of those three would that fall under? Would that be, I guess? Um, I think that is a, maybe a brain hack, unless it's a tool. I don't know. Yeah, like if some you're of using Habitica, cross, then yeah. it might be a tool. I guess, I think combination. He, this person might have been doing it in their head or maybe like on pen and paper or something to keep track, but. Um, yeah, it sounds like the, the mind hack, the productivity hacks yeah. category. The categories aren't important, though. That was more to just like jar my memory of which ones I wanted to talk about. Yeah, but they're, they are distinct, and I like that, too. So what happens after you capture the tasks? Um, then you sort them into, can I do it right now? If so, like, if you can do it in under five minutes, then you do it immediately. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, is this something that I'm going to do later, or uh, is this something that I can delegate? So uh, you look at it, and you're like, okay, uh, that, that's just the most basic tiers of, uh, of organization categorization. So you do all your five-minute tasks, and you commit to doing um, the entire list of all the tasks that, like, that are you know, important enough for you to do. 
and uh, you delegate tasks that aren't like you know good fits for tasks for you to do either it's like above or below your pay grade or somebody else uh, could do it better than you and then you would save on opportunity cost and then there's a, the, another fourth category which is the delete category and so you look at a task and you're like okay um i'm never gonna get this done or uh this isn't relevant anymore and then you delete it and that's basically getting things done um the like really really simplified version but there's a very complicated like metagame involved in getting things done when rationalists get involved everything gets a complicated metagame right <laughs> this wasn't even rationalists this was david allen oh, okay <laughs> who uh is who was a, rationalist before was cool enough to have a term i mean yeah did, did you find a productivity bump doing these things when you started actively making an effort to be more productive absolutely and uh, i still use it i i've modified my own version of it which i think is a really important thing to do with productivity tools again because mm-hmm. everybody works differently so what you do is um, there's all the, the philosophies, the books, et cetera, the tools. You just um, you try them out. And uh, well, first of all, you look at them and you think, is this the sort of thing that I'm going to do? Because the best productivity tool is the one that you are going to be able to do. Some people love getting things done, uh, like the super complicated version of it, because they love super complicated things. And that motivates them to actually like get a lot of work done because they it's actually kind of a game. Yeah, it's like it's um, if it's fun for me. Uh, I, I like organizing all my things and then like feeling like I've made progress when I'm like clearing my task list and I'm shifting like papers around in my head. But uh, some people hate that and they look at that and they go, oh, my God, that looks like so much work to get work done. Like this is, you know, not something that would work for me. So they need something simpler. I can see that if it involved a lot of steps just to keep track of stuff. I'd have to add a task for do my tasking. Yes. Uh, I make a joke about that at work. We use a, an agile management tool called Rally, which if you if you use it deeply, it can take seemingly like half an hour a day, which is not an insignificant chunk of time. So I always joke that we should add that to our like our workload, like add do manage our workload to our workload. Yeah, I definitely want to try some of these. So you don't Inyash, you don't use any formal stuff, but you you somehow get things done. Uh, yeah. You've been known to. <laughs> I, I suppose, yeah. I haven't been known to, so I'm trying to learn a lot from this episode, because I have stuff coming up that I want to be actually able to focus on and do. Okay. So I'm going to try and work together a technique for myself here. It's it's hard for me to give advice, because I just... I mean, one, one of the things I often tell myself, like when I was doing the renovations in this house, I just look around, I'm like, well, it's not going to renovate itself. The only way things will move forward is if I physically move them forward, and so I got to do it because I want the end product. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, but one that, of the that, things that has a real sense of urgency behind it. Like, yeah. if this isn't renovated, then you can't move in, and you're right, just paying right. for two places, and you're, you know, that's it's true. So, yeah, that that sounds like there's enough motivation there that even I could get off my ass to do it. So, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, you wrote a book, you went to Starbucks every day or most what five days a week for like a year. Yeah, um, not quite a year, like nine months, but like. What kept you from saying, no, I'm going to take today off and do whatever? Like, I guess you wanted to do it. That's yeah, like- that, that that was really it. I mean, and the thing is, there's lots of things that I do that I don't want to do. Like, when I do accounting for my boss, I don't, I don't really care. But after a certain amount of just doing things, productivity starts to feel good in itself. I think it's kind of like how uh, if you're a runner you running itself just starts to feel good and people will i mean there's a wonderful i think it's the oatmeal yeah the guy from the oatmeal is the runner he has this great comic about going on ultra marathons and by hour eight he thinks he's dying and he is in heaven you know and once you start get started doing lots of productive things in life it just feels better than video games or most other things and you just want to keep doing stuff 
but yeah it is it is important to do things you like like a lot of people have asked me i'm just gonna i might as well announce this publicly because i've gotten a million emails saying hey are you ever going to do a podcast of um uh significant digits the yes. the unofficial yeah sequel to to harry potter methods of rationality and i've always answered the same way uh no because it's it's i acknowledge that it's good but i don't feel passionate about it and doing these podcasts that the fiction ones anyway is about eh, six to seven hours of work per half hour episode and and you know i don't get paid or anything so the only thing that drives me to do it is the passion and with Harry Potter, I had the passion for it because I love the story so much. And Significant Digits is good, but I it didn't ever spark that passion in me that would keep me doing it week after week for a year or a year and a half, you know. So I was like, I'm sorry, but but no, it would I would I would lose steam because I don't I don't have enough of that. And then whenever like I put out that that antho- online anthology I was just talking about earlier, that was just like I really want to see this in the world, and it doesn't exist and. By golly, it could exist if someone just sat down for one weekend and did it, and so I did, you know? But I do have the problem where it's really hard for me to get started on things, even things that I love oftentimes. I think what I'm hearing for myself so far is I'm going to try and do like a hybrid thing, because I, I don't know what my issue is. I don't have a lot of passion lately for like, I don't know, I've, I've had sparks of passion over like the last several years. Like I'm passionate about things, but not like getting things done. Um, so I think I'll need a bit of a carrot and a stick for myself, which, you know, like you said, accounting, you've got a carrot and a stick, yeah. um, you know, paychecks and homelessness. So right. like, um, I think my, my ex-wife, Melissa said this once and it really stuck with me. She's like, everyone should have one thing that makes them awesome. That like, you know, all their other friends are like, that's a cool thing you do. And she was like, and for you, that's your podcast. And I was like, yeah. And, and that, that was the motivating factor for me, you know, and everyone has something that makes them awesome. Yeah. It's I don't know, keep good you for your self-esteem and, um, so it sounds like what you're talking about, there is another productivity system, I would say it falls into the philosophy called the procrastination equation. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're describing, Inuyasha, as being a motivating factor for you is value. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, though, uh, I think like particularly rationalists, uh, there's some debate about whether or not this is true of everyone or rationalists are particularly bad at this and just good at noticing it. But there's the issue of acrasia. Um, should I define that? Sure. Yeah. Um. I should have looked up a definition, but uh, acrasia is uh, delay or um, feeling resistance towards uh, doing a task. Like, you want to do a task, you know you should do the task, you need to do the task, and for some reason, you just can't motivate yourself to do it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, like um, wanting to write a book and, like, you know, being really passionate about, like, the ideas and the characters in the book and then just, like, just not doing it. <laughs> yeah, or just, like, more broadly, knowing what the right thing to do is and doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bowl of cocoa. I had a bowl of cocoa puffs for dinner. Probably the wrong choice, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know if that falls into acrasia, but um, that actually relates to the procrastination equation. Sure. So this is a book um, by Piers Steele, and the subtitle is "How to Stop Putting Things Off and Get Stuff Done." And there's a whole book, and and it's worth reading the whole book because it gives you this really good breakdown of this very simple equation, um, which is expectancy times value over impulsiveness times delay. And um, someone also did a book review and went into deeper uh, detail on the Less Wrong website about the procrastination equation. I believe there's two articles and we can link to them because uh, that's how I found out about it. So each of these, what, what do each of these things mean? Expectancy is how, um, you know, your gut reaction, can I do this? Um, is this something that like is in my, you know, skill set? Am I capable of doing this? 
So uh, you have high expectancy if it's a task, like, you know, a routine task you do every day at your work, you can practically do on autopilot. You're not going to experience much resistance when you think about that because you're like, oh, yeah, that's easy. But um, if it's like somebody has assigned you a task and, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of research and you're not sure if you can do it, you have like, uh, actually, I'm not sure if higher or low expectancy is. Well, I would say, yeah, low expectancy of being able to do that task that causes anxiety and that causes you to procrastinate doing it because thinking about it gives you a fields which is another term that just means the like feeling of dread that you get <laughs> or the feeling of like apathy or uh just badness that makes you um oh i should do this task and then your brain deletes it because your brain doesn't like feeling uh those unhappy feelings i have so much of that for my second novel <laughs> the fields i yeah i know i should start it that's they always say the best thing you can do after you finish your first novel is start your second one. But I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I can pull this off. It's going to be hard and there's going to be all... It's uh. uh, Sounds like expectancy. Yes. So uh, value in the equation is obviously how much you value the thing. You have the passion for it or you don't. So um, you might get a lot of work done at your job that you don't give a shit about because it's just like, I don't know... Um, something that's not really helping the world or that you don't personally feel passionate about, but you're, you have to get it done because you need to make money and your boss is watching you and all of your coworkers are judging you. So you, you, you know, go into work and you crunch a bunch of numbers and you do whatever it is that you do and you don't work on your novel, which you feel very passionate about. So value can motivate you, but also it's not a necessary part of the equation. Impulsiveness is like deciding to, you know, eat cereal instead of uh, having a healthy dinner. Or uh, deciding to play video games instead of working on the novel that you really want to do. And that is just, uh, you know, we're animals uh, and <laughs> we have like dopamine systems. And, uh, you know, even if you really want to work on that novel, your monkey brain is going, oh, you don't want to do that. You're not going to get an immediate hit of dopamine from doing that. But you will if you play this fun video game that you just downloaded on your phone. So and then a uh, delay is just um, how long is it going to take me to do this task? How soon will I like see the rewards like reap the rewards of having done this task so if you if your friend is in need and you you know you know that they're in hard times and you give them some money and then they're they're really happy and like you get like warm fuzzies from that yeah you do that um and it gives you immediate gratification or you, you like to do a lot of things that give you immediate gratification so maybe you deprioritize stuff on your task list over and over again because you're like oh yeah but like you know if i do this right now i'm not going to see the reward for a really long time so your brain like can't think in that kind of scale your brain just wants like immediate gratification and uh yeah that's that is the procrastination equation so um you stare at this equation you can write it down somewhere and when you're experiencing a uh, fields and you don't know why you're like okay which factors are involved and you can diagnose it so it's like why why am i not getting this task done well because i've been playing video games oh okay so it's impulsiveness so there are tools to deal with impulsiveness that you can use why, like, you know, haven't I, like, got a 401k yet? Oh, it's delay, because I'm not expecting to see that money. Uh, so I just keep pushing that down on my task list forever. Why haven't I done this task? Because it's really hard and I'm scared of it. <laughs> Expectancy. Why haven't I done this task? Because I don't value it. I don't feel any passion for it. And then, yeah, there, there's different tools that you can specifically use for each of those. A lot of, um, you know, resistance is uh, some mix of a lot of these, but usually there's one that really sticks out. Hey, Stephen, I remember you were saying not too long ago, we were talking about the Uggfields around getting together to do this podcast, and that you uh, have a cool way of getting around them. Oh, 
so yeah, I as long as we're talking about hating doing this all around the show, I, mean, <laughs> um, I, I figured it was a good example because we end up always doing it, right? Right. So to be clear, it's not that we hate doing this; it's that we hate getting ready to do this. Yeah. At least I do. Like, so it's it's um, always the day of. I'm like, oh man. But the thing is, I realize that I have that about literally about basically everything I like doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yesterday we're gonna play Pathfinder after work, and I'm. Four o'clock comes around. I'm like, I'd really rather just go home than wait around till five and do this. And yet, then we sit down and we're having, I had fun all night. It was great. Yeah. Um, and that that is consistently the experience. There was uh, this was kicked off. I saw an Ask Reddit thread about, or no, it was whatever it was, like an AMA or something with like a sex therapist. And they were talking about how you know if you've got one partner who has low libido and one partner who has high libido. Uh, typically, the partner with low libido doesn't dislike sex. They just don't. They aren't in the mood. They they don't feel like having sex but once they're having sex they're enjoying it like everybody else does mm-hmm. um so if you're a person with low libido and it's important to you to like, try and up that for yourself to have fun have you know satisfy your partner more or something then you can just kind of focus on the fact that, like i'll be having fun here in a few minutes i just need to get there and my my example of that is much more uh pg rated it's that i hate taking showers or rather <laughs> i dread taking showers i love the experience of taking showers it's relaxing and warm and, and comfortable and i once i'm in there i'm immediately having a great time but it's less now that i'm aware of it but when i took it when i made this connection i realized immediately I was like that's exactly what i do every fucking night is like oh i gotta go take a shower i don't want to i'll put it off for 10 more minutes and uh now i just tell myself like hey you know what it's gonna be fun and in fact, now that I've done that, I haven't been having the same sort of uh, apprehension about doing the podcast either. Yeah. Because I'm able to like just put myself in the mindset of like, well, I know where I'm going to be when I get there. Why don't I just get there now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I always have a great time while we're recording. And afterwards, I feel good. We got something done. We got to hang out for a couple hours, you know? It was good times. And yeah, I, I, it's the same thing. Uh, going into it, I'm like, just think about how you're going to feel once you've started. Yeah. And it helps a lot. I think so. Um, I do have a question about the equation here though because I, I love there's weaponized approach for each of these and i can i can categorize my my apathy or my acrasia into each one but how do you overcome expectancy when i look like for example a couple coworkers and i are going to work together on building a mobile app for something outside of work and i haven't done anything to work towards that in my free time oh, uh, yeah. because it seems daunting and tiresome and i just don't want to so um, uh, yeah, the- i'm not asking you to solve this for me but no, if you no, give there's, me there's a um, you know a lot of things that you can uh try um i'm actually thinking of the less strong article in particular who recommended uh motivational speeches things like watching ted talks or uh you know looking at elon musk's rocket landing or you know like things that really get you amped up and uh motivational music um you can it's kind of a brain hack where you can actually like kind of rah-rah yourself into a state of i have like higher faith in myself now it's hard not to get amped about whatever you're doing when i have the tiger comes on <laughs> yeah was that one of the specific songs because I, I no that... i'm just everyone knows that i have the tiger gets you amped yeah, up for everything right now right now we should put some i have the tiger underneath us you said motivational anything before you do your task yeah like, like a ted talk or something yeah, or um, you can keep, like, a list of achievements that, like, um, this is kind of related to another thing, which was just, uh, you know, Bayesian reasoning, um, updating your beliefs about certain things when your brain is telling you one thing. For example, I always, you know, I have really bad social anxiety, so my brain constantly says, you're annoying people, they hate you, your friends, you know, like, and, but I've, you know, kind of done, like, cognitive behavioral therapy sort of tools, like, is this true? Um... <laughs> What evidence do you have for this? Like, ask the friend, you know, and then like, you can actually be like, okay, so like, 
what you know what, what is my like confidence level that this friend hates me and you can actually keep a number on that that's maybe something we should talk about more in a bit because i want to get back to um yeah the motivational things but if you keep like a, a record of uh here's a, a list of times that i felt like i couldn't do a thing but then i actually did it if and you or like keep it in your head just remind yourself that like i was totally about to ask you like haven't you done things that you really had no clue what you were doing when you first started, but eventually you got it done? Totally. And that's, I, so I got over that. Um, and I think that's a great technique to have. And so I can do stuff um, mainly when I'm at work mm -hmm. uh, on this thing. Um, not, not writing anything because then it would belong to the company because I saw Silicon Valley. But um, <laughs> the, you know, I, I could do like research and stuff at work. It's more just like when I'm at home and I have my free time. Like a good example of this is... I've been successfully going to the gym on average like three times a week for like eight months. Congrats. Because, uh, and I haven't said this on the podcast. I have said it to you in person, but you can totally tell. You look good. Thank you. That's flattering. Yeah. Um, Just so everyone knows, Steven is a hottie and you should all want him. Wow. All right. <laughs> moving right along. Um, uh, so the reason that I can do that is because there's a free gym at my in my office at work. Yes. Um, so... I just moved from the part. I moved from an apartment that I lived in for four years with a gym in the apartment building that I used maybe ten times over four years because my all my stuff is just right around the corner. Why would I go down to the gym? But if I tell myself if I get to work early or if I tell myself you can't go home until you've gone to the gym, then it's like a much easier way to make yourself do it. Yeah, routines. Um, yeah, ha habits. I would say. But this tied into what you just said, and I got distracted before that. Um, you said something about getting over the hurdle of doing it or something, or getting into the there was getting getting past that first initial hump to get started yeah well dealing with your own anxiety about like whether or not you can do it um which also sometimes you have to like confront can i actually do this and seek help if not um or you know like it, it can actually really help even just to have the emotional support of asking someone like hey I, or even admitting like hey i feel really like anxious about doing this and it's kind of freaking me out do you have any advice ask a colleague or a friend even if they can't actually give you any kind of like instrumental advice about oh here's how you would do it, it like they, they can kind of reassure you that like oh I, th I think that you can do this like sure no that's yeah that's a nice way to think about it too, too. i um, think this was a emotion that had a much much more use in our past when google didn't exist because before if you didn't know how to do things you generally just couldn't do them yeah and so you know it was nice to have that emotion to stop you from fucking up everything whereas nowadays when you don't know how to do something you google it and then you know Given however much time it takes to learn the thing or the steps, you can you can make a decent attempt at it. Yeah, and failure isn't as costly as it would have been in a hunter gatherer times. Yeah. Like if you you know <laughs> fail to hunt, then you will starve. But if you like you know fail to uh, do a task at work, then like I don't know, it's you're not gonna die. Yeah, yeah. nobody cares. Well, and back then, if you like <laughs> didn't know how to plant corn, you were just like shit out of luck. <laughs> Guess I'll die. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, you don't know how to plant corn. Ten minutes later on YouTube, you know how to plant corn. That yeah, is true. I'm trying to make a life skill out of Googling things that I like either something that I want to like, you know, we'll be talking like, I wonder if this is true. Yeah, that's interesting. Like you kind of like talk back and forth for two minutes. Like, no, wait, hold on. We can just answer this right now. Give me <laughs> yeah. a second. Or looking up how to do stuff. Like there's um, there's one creaky board in my house and it's in the bedroom mm. in an area that doesn't get that much foot traffic. Like if it was between like the bed and the door, that'd be super annoying. But I was curious, like, what does it actually take to fix this? And it turns out it's kind of annoying. Yeah. But if you have carpet down, it's going to be a problem. Right. And so it was just enough to say, you know what? Why would we sit and speculate about this when we can just look at this up really quick? Yeah. Found a four-minute video on YouTube. And I was like, oh, yeah, screw that. <laughs> right. It was basically this guy was, like, drilling a bunch of random holes 
to see if he could find the part where the joint was like where the part where the, where the wood was squeaky mm. and then use these special screws from this kit that you can buy for cheap and then you drill those in there and then you break off the top of the the, the screw uh what you're left with is a floor with a bunch of holes in it and presumably underneath the carpet probably not all the way into the wood part of a screw sticking out that's weird because maybe I mean, that's the shittiest way to do it but that's the first way i found yeah i don't know why you'd break the head maybe it's yeah generally you don't need to break the head off you just screw the screw in all the way down maybe this was a way to like not get it caught in the carpet or something too i'm not really there was some or maybe you could putty it over so you didn't see the hole anymore afterwards oh was this if you don't take the carpet up yeah this was if you don't take the carpet oh up. okay yeah then you i guess you would have to break off the the head yeah, yeah. and i don't want to take the carpet up because well i guess i could also look up how do you put carpet back down maybe that's not that hard so well, um, it is a little bit hard okay i have a tool for you <laughs> there's the the value of time uh calculator which is on clearerthinking.org they have a bunch of tools i highly recommend all of them um but this is a way that you can actually calculate how much your time is worth to you and then uh you can for example watch that youtube video calculate how many hours do, do i think that this will take me to do approximately you know what an hour of your time is worth now so you can say okay it's going to cost this much to do this should i do this or should i pay someone to do this for me yeah obviously you have to have money like even if you have like you know a very low income though it still is going to calculate how much you value your time the more money you make you know uh the more uh it makes sense to delegate tasks to others the less money that you make the more sense it makes to do stuff on your own yeah that would be you know getting things done that would be a task that you probably would want to delegate to a professional who could do it um more efficiently faster you know more reliably than you it's also how much i care about the problem and yeah yeah Yeah. And, and for the most part i agree but there are certain tangible benefits to doing things yourself like it's fun Oh, absolutely you, you learn how to do it and afterwards you feel proud like ha i did this myself and yeah we did we've done some minor improvements mainly painting and stuff and there's the sense of accomplishment that you get when you look around and be like this looks better because of us yeah but yeah totally um but yeah like, but there yeah. was a i had an issue with my air conditioner that i thought about getting fixed this summer and i looked into like how hard would this be to do, how hard would this be to do myself oh mm. not that easy and then it looked into like how much would it cost to get somebody to do it and i was like i can wait till next year but um but yeah that exact same sort of uh, thing comes up and if it turned out that i could do it as easy as charging a car air conditioner or something that'd be fine um but it turned out to be a bit more complicated and possibly illegal i never figured that out <laughs> if you could charge your own air if you're if you can charge illegal if you can charge your own home air conditioners because freon's uh oh um, are scary. Yeah, okay yeah. yeah um yeah there's always the flip side too of uh hey, I tried to do this thing and I did it successfully and I feel great and I'm happy where it is. I tried to do this thing. I thought it would take three hours. It has taken me nine hours. I think I broke it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel terrible about myself and my decisions. So uh, you have to kind of like, you know, weigh that as well. It's always worth looking up though because some things that you think would be really hard are actually surprisingly easy. Oh, it's absolutely always worth looking it up unless you're really rich and you just don't care. Right, yeah. (laughs) If you got tons of money. We, I think I should point out that we are at two hours and 15 minutes here, so we should probably wrap up soon. Wow. I'd be nice to do another one at some point soon, too. So how long are you in town and when are you moving here? Um, I am leaving tomorrow, but I'm hoping to come back in a few weeks. Okay. I don't know if it's going to, you know, how long it's going to take to deal with insurance. People quit my job and say goodbye to everybody. Totally. And pack my stuff, but I want to, I want to go fast. Well, I'd love to do this again and hang out when you get down here. Yeah, we could cool. do a part two. Yeah. <laughs> and I can actually come prepared because I feel like I barely covered anything that was in my head earlier. Well, we could do a part two for this, then a part one and two for the gender episode. We could do more stuff. I feel like, I guess I've had a lot of fun hanging out and talking and we could do more of that. So. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I decided to do this. Uh, I'm running on no sleep and I felt really like low expectancy that I was going to come off coherent <laughs> or have a good time. 
And uh, that's why I'm here to make our guests look good. If I sound like I'm bad, <laughs> what I'm doing, yeah. Uh, so we are going to have to call the episode here because we are running over as it is. But we may come back and do an episode part two when you can move here. Oh yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I, I feel like I barely covered any of the ones I wanted to talk about, so I'll come more prepared with a whole list of. Let's do thanks to the uh, our music people again. Yeah. Thank you to the people who provided music in this podcast, David Guir. And Samirki Keeper. You guys rock. Hell Thanks for yeah. everyone. Everyone, we've received a lot of positive feedback for the uh, for the new music, including requests to go back and change the old music, which yeah. unfortunately will never happen because none of us have the original sound files anymore. So it would be this horrible, choppy mess. Yeah. So that'll just be a, a testament to it's never too late to improve. <laughs> <laughs> and even if we did have the sound files, that's like five, ten minutes per episode to do it. And I just... I'm not going to spend 600 minutes fixing that. Or, That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have our Patreon supporter to thank. Uh, thank you this week to Zachary Olpin. Thanks, Zachary. You're the bomb. Yeah, thanks, Zach. We really appreciate it. The reason we can do this is because of people like you helping us out. Totally. And finally, we would also like to thank Jess, who is was our guest today, for providing the art that we use for our podcast. That's where that came from? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no way. Yeah. I'd love to do more art for you guys. I too. remember you said it came from somebody named Jess. So you guys have been in touch for a while then. Okay, yeah. see, I thought that this was that you just found the, the local group on Facebook because you were coming to Denver. We've yeah. been talking for like years, right? I think, yeah, like a year and a half, maybe two years now. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I meant to ask you about that because there's no attribution on the website or anything. No, there, there is. All, oh, oh, but not like, oh, you're right. Not, it's not, not anywhere not, very not visible. That's links or also something. my fault because I don't have a website with my art on it or anything. Like, I'm. I'm I'm a terrible freelance graphics designer, and I just like use my email. Well, I love the logo. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, now that I can put face to awesome. it and thank you properly. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and again, um, you know, hit me up if you need art. I will do volunteer art for rationalist things. I, you know, I did the Harvard Effective Altruist one, and uh, and, and she did ours totally for free. She was just like, "Here's a thing. I like well, your I podcast. Couldn't donate money to you guys, or I would have, you know, well, I think I'd give you a bit, but I, I have, don't have very much. So I was like, I'm, you know, happy for anything I can do to contribute because I get a lot of value out of listening to this podcast. Oh, well, thank you for yeah. that too. But uh, I, I love the art. I, I loved it the whole time, and it looks great. Aww. So um, <laughs> that is the one thing that never needed updating. You know, the we needed a better itinerary for how we handle the episodes. We needed a different format. We needed uh, new music, but the 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 logo is staying the same forever. It's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> cool. Okay, you're welcome. All right. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you in two weeks. Cool. Okay. Bye-bye.